There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, coming at you from the Broken Tine studio right here in sunny, warm uh, Clark Fork, Idaho. In fact, this is probably the first, it's not probably, it is the first episode I'm recording of the year in which I had to turn the air conditioning on right here in the lonely Broken Tine studio. So I'm pretty excited about that. Good to see the sun shining. The passes are open. I can start bear hunting again. Uh, anyway, glad you guys are here. I've got a really good episode. I'm really excited about this guest this week. Um, this guy's name is Chris Hunt, and we just met, and we had a, a quick conversation and come to find out there are some, uh, we have crossed trails, so to speak. And uh, <laughs> you guys know that, um, you know, obviously this is a Western Huntsman. I love Western hunting. I talk about Western history a lot and American history, and, and I, I have a very uh, deep-seated passion for all things Western and the West and the life of uh, folks that live in the West amongst the mountains and the Rocky Mountain fronts. Um, and, and that kind of brings us to our guest this week, who started a... Uh, actually, how I found him is I'm following him on Instagram, at the Code of the West, and his name is Chris Hunt. Chris, brother, I appreciate you joining me, man. This is going to be fun. Man, that 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 opening song got me pumped. <laughs> Did it get you pumped? Are you like are you ready yeah, to like put yeah. your fist through a wall, ready to go? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I was kind of just sitting here. I'm like pumping my fist. I'm like, yeah, like all right, let's let's get this going. Yeah, man. I, I that's kind of the goal. I, I want people fired up when they're on my show. We we get we get saucy sometimes. Um, <laughs> so you know, I'm taking hard. I'm taking notes. <laughs> well. Let's uh, let's kick this one off, man. Um, I, I want to get, I feel like we have a lot to cover because uh, I really yeah. enjoyed that uh, little conversation we, we just started with. Uh, and then, what, so what happened, guys, for, for those of you listening, we, we got to talking and it dawned on me, man, we are missing some really kick-ass content that would be really good for the show. And so I had to stop, uh, you know, the, the conversation <laughs> to get Chris on. <laughs> so... Why don't we yeah, just... no, it's like it's an understatement. I think at this point to say that we've we've crossed trails that we probably like seen each other and just didn't know who the other one was. God, no kidding, man. That's funny. Um, well, let's kick it off. Give, give everybody kind of the snapshot of your background, and and we'll just take it from there. Whew. Um, I I've been trying to do this for years, and I, I'm still having a hard time kind of like compressing it. So bear with me. But oh, you're uh, good. Born in Ohio, super asthmatic, super sick kid, like you know, seizures, colic, like bubble kid for sure. And, um, I would say from, I, I parents split sheets when I was five, lived with my grandma and grandpa while my parents were sorting that stuff out. And my grandpa was barefoot hillbilly, Southern Indiana kind of guy and, um, had been in the army. He was in Korea and his basement was full of books and old records and, and 
my uncle had gone up to Alaska out on the Kenai and was trapping foxes and stuff. And so I grew up with this, I would say, borderline obsession with the West and the frontier. And, um, you know, my grandpa would tell me stories about Ohio and Indiana when, you know, not that he was alive for it, but, you know, he'd be explaining to me how the, the frontier had progressively moved over the years in the centuries. And so I had, and my dad was a truck driver, so I've been on the road since I was five and I'd hit three major state by the time I was eight. So I'd seen the West. I'd been out here and my earliest memories are actually in San Jose, California. So I, I knew it was there. I remember seeing the Rockies for the first time and I just had a fascination with it. And we, I kind of mentioned to you when we were in our little earlier sort of conversation that when I learned about Teddy Roosevelt for the first time when I was about nine, I really latched on to that, not just because he's an East Coast guy that went West. Um, and I revisited that part of the story a few times as I've gotten older, but the fact that he was sick and asthmatic and just, you know, was all about that strenuous life and just, and just basically saying like, fuck you to reality. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's like, I'm going to like, I'm going to like bear wrestle this shit down and I'm, I'm not going to let, you know, circumstance tell me what I can or can't do. So I latched onto that, that mentality pretty early. And I remember when my mom got the job offer, it was just mom and me. She got a job out in Idaho for a company called Trust Trust Millen that doesn't exist anymore, but um, she she wasn't going to make me go. And, and I she's like, do you want to go? I'll take you. Otherwise, we'll stay here in Ohio. And I was like, do they have mountains there? And she's <laughs> like, yeah, you can see them from the office. I'm like, yep, let's go to Idaho. And that, that was pretty much how I got to Idaho. Um, but um, my background originally, my career that I dedicated myself to was writing and drawing comic books which surprises people a lot of times. And I've been fascinated with storytelling my entire life, really. As a part of that whole phase, when I was a kid, I had to go to deaf school when I was supposed to be learning how to read. So by the time that I got into first grade, I was pretty far behind. And I had a teacher, my first grade teacher, tell my mom that I was never going to learn how to read and that I'd probably be, you know, officially like a criminal, you know, for, for my life because I, it was just done deal. And I they got me into a remedial reading program and very quickly turns out I'm very good at reading when someone explained it to me. And, ah. um, and so I, I kind of, as a fuck you to Mrs. Rostifer, if you're listening, um, I just <laughs> became obsessed with reading and growing and learning as much as I could. So I would just, I was burning through books down in my grandpa's basement, things like Northwest passage, um, like Kenneth Roberts is, I was a big fan of that, like rebel in arms, I don't know if you've ever gone down that that path. I haven't read that one. I haven't read that one. It, they're they're great books. Northwest Passage is great too because that's about Rogers Rangers, and mm -hmm. um, uh, th that was my first exposure to that whole thing, which actually came in handy decades later when I was offered a job with AMC working for one of their TV shows called Turn. But uh, that's a, it's a different story <laughs> somewhere else down the road here. But. Um, <laughs> Like, um, the comic book thing became my obsession. It was like, I, I, I out of everything, it's what I, I knew I wanted to do with my life. Cause the idea of telling stories that, you know, were coming out of my own head and, uh, being able to, you know, I love movies, I love prose, but, but this kind of combined all those things. And that path led me to a lot of things. Um, I eventually realized that comics were not really it was very hard for me to accept this, but comics as an industry were not, I wasn't jiving with it. And, um, what, I, what, you know, the, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. What weren't 
what was it about that that you weren't jiving with? What, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, it got woke uh, is one way of putting it, but it also oh, gotcha. just got Hollywood. Um, I mean, to, to put it simply, the people started realizing that the the intellectual property was more valuable. You know, if, if somebody created an idea that, that was a comic book, it was more valuable if you could turn it into a movie or a TV show. And so mm. San Diego Comic-Con is like the biggest place where everybody goes every year. And it became more of like a, a bonanza to just to just scoop up intellectual property. And so people weren't really making comics because they were really passionate about a story or because, you know, they loved the craft or what, whatever, what have you. It became more like, oh, zombies are hot, uh, you know, or vampires. And then, then you know, the point with the Me Too thing, which this is like a double edged sword because I never thought I'd be in, in this position. But I, I was going I went into a a meeting with a, a very big publisher and they'd invited me in and there's like a room inside of the room. And I'm like, I'm thinking like, cool, I finally, I've got her cause my book had come out. I'd won some awards and I sit down at the table, with a friend of mine and we were going to pitch something together. And the editor looked at us and she was like, guys, I'm sorry. I have to tell you this, but we, we actually can't look at anything that you're bringing us. And, and Chris, and I kind of looked at each other and we we're like, what happened? What did we do? And I, Oh, you didn't do anything. We just can't look at anything that's not uh, LG, LGBTQ, uh, not basically like no white guys. I mean, I can just simplify it that way. God, what um, a fucking mess, man. What? Yeah, it was weird. How did we get to this as a country where it's like everything's got to be like a political or social construct kind of thing? You know, it just it, people just can't be people anymore. It drives me crazy. So I think it's what we optimize it for. And, you know, even in comics, it, it wasn't really like there was uh, some Machiavellian plot. It was more like, oh, this is what sells comics now. This yeah. is what sells TV shows. This is what sells things at Target, I guess, now. Um, so I kind of had to do some soul searching at that point. And I had worked. You, are you familiar with the company Filson at all? No. No, I don't know that one. Uh, they're an outs- old school outfitter out of Seattle. Uh, they started in 1897. And they actually started when people were going up to the, the Yukon Gold Rush. And C.C. Filson was like a guy that basically just had a store down by the waterfront and would equip people going up to the Yukon. Now, if you ever watched like Jeremiah Johnson. Oh, anything, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Pe- people were definitely like, people like, oh, yeah, yeah, you need this, you need that. And then they were getting up there and they were ditching shit before they even got up the hill. So C.C. <laughs> Filson had this reputation of like only selling you what you needed, which then translated late years later into like an outdoorsman company. Like it. If you've ever heard of or seen a Mackinac cruiser, that was a yeah. Filson thing oh, or really? Tinclot. No kidding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, when I was in New York and I was just doing comics, I had a friend from high school who was working for them and asked me to help open a store up because I had just done, I only did this one time. I did, I did a, a two week trail maintenance stint up in the Wenatchee's mm-hmm. um, outside of Leavenworth on the PCT. Well, kind of on the PCT, which that was crazy. Um, oh, yeah. It's but, a beautiful um, country up there. Yeah, but it's it was 15 hour days with 70 pound packs and hand tools because it's a wilderness area. Yeah, so yep. uh, it was trying. Um, I relate. I we had like veterans that were doing like day hikes that were like circling back around and being like, "I know how shitty this is. Like, here's some <laughs> Jolly Ranchers. Um, <laughs> you know, like." Um, so I I had a bit of legitimacy, and I was from the West. You know, I, at that point, I I spent more of my life in the West than I had in Ohio. And so they're like, we need some help. Can you help open the store? And it kind of tethered me to Filson for a while. So when, when all this stuff happened with the comic book shit, I was like, you know what, I'll just go back to 
fucking Filson. I found out they were opening at the Filson store while I was in Ohio, and I was like, I can do this. So I'll just, you know what? Fuck comics. I'm done. I, I, I climbed that mountain. It wasn't what I thought it was. Super disappointing, but move on. And while I was there, through a weird sort of set of circumstances, I ended up at the headquarters in Seattle, met the, the, the guy who ran Filson and the product designer, and turns out we read the same stupid, well, I shouldn't say stupid, but the same European, obscure European comics that are about, like, a gentleman of fortune. And all of a sudden, I'm, like, designing stuff for Filson, and I'm doing tutorials, and I'm doing stuff for social media, and I'm realizing, holy shit, I can make way more money doing the exact same shit I was doing in comics, but doing it for brands. And then that, tra- uh-huh, that ended yeah. up, that, that ended up becoming how I worked at black rifle as well. Um, cause Evan, the CEO and the main founder found me through the Filson stuff. We think that that was like to our best guess, um, when we were trying to figure it out. And he's from, he's from uh we, Idaho, which is, if you know, it's like off the low, low pass. It's like middle of oh, yeah. nowhere. Yeah. I, I know, um, I know it pretty well. Uh, my, my buddy Dirk Durham is, uh, from there and mm. he's, uh, Evan's cousin, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I've heard I've heard Dirk's name before. Actually, I might have met Dirk now that I think about it. Uh, you I think I met him at the office. So Dirk uh, is uh, Dirk's on the show a lot, but yeah, he's he. I think he came into the office of Black Rifle not long ago. Uh, I think I met him, and I think yeah. I actually gave him Code of the West stuff. Now that I think about oh, it. Oh, really? Oh, that'd be cool. And so he came down and did an elk hunt in Utah at the uh, what's that? Range? Deseret. Deseret. Gosh, I, I drew a blank yeah, on that. I I think I met him. Yeah, you probably did, man. He's a good dude. He's uh, he's uh, you know famous for his bugling skills. He works for Phelps Game Calls with Jason Phelps, and yeah, uh, you know tra- travels all over the place hunting elk. And um, he's uh, a really good friend of mine. But um, yeah, if you've heard him bugle, uh, you'd know him. <laughs> so yeah, that's this. This just keeps getting crazier. Uh, like the yeah the second degree connections and stuff. I know, um, right? Seriously. So so yeah, I, I was doing I was doing Black Rifle, and we were we kind of took my comic book skills and project management, and like built in our department, elevated the idea of. I mean, I basically. Well, Evan and I had talked about the idea of like making people feel bad about throwing the coffee bags away. And also I never, I, I never communicated this, but like I, I wanted it to feel like when I would go in the toy aisle and see like GI Joe and masters of the universe back in the day, where it was like the art was just, the, you wanted a toy because of the art half the time. And, and yeah. I felt like if you could do that with a coffee bag then that's got to sell. And so now it's in Walmart and you walk down the coffee aisle and it's like, there's like, black bag green bag then it's like you know spirit of 76 there's um, beyond black you know night vision like guys fast roping off of a, a black hawk like it just i think i now i'm trying to pat myself on the back here or anything i just it's cool it's it's it's, it's way cool, cool to see yeah um so then it's, yeah i mean code of the west kind of happened in the middle of all that it's way cool because it's like you know i'll give you a great example man it's super cheesy but th- we, I was at the grocery store the other day with my wife, and we're and we're, we're we're walking down like the I don't know breakfast aisle or whatever you call that. And I had <laughs> I had bought this pancake mix, and she's always giving me shit because I love to cook breakfast. I've got this uh, black stone griddle, 
And uh, oh, yeah. I go to town on this bad boy, man, because we have all these chickens, so I've got to cook omelets and, yeah, you know, all sorts of stuff. So <laughs> anyways, I, I'm like, man, we haven't done huckleberry pancakes for a while. We still have a big bag of huckleberries from last season. And so... Uh, Northern Idaho and the huckleberries, man. Sorry, yeah, man. I digress. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> big deal. It's a big deal. My, my, my two daughters are the Huckleberry Festival uh, champion youth bakers from uh, last year. I had to throw that oh, well, out. You got royalty. Right? You got royalty in the house. It's a big deal. So, yeah. <laughs> anyways, uh, the, the packaging that you're talking about, you know, it, it like there's all these syrups. They all look the same except this one that is like this. I don't even remember the brand, but it looks like a log cabin or some shit. And I'm like, we uh-huh. need that syrup. And it's like $2 more. But it, it, it that that packaging, I think that goes a long way. It just looks high quality. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so it makes sense. Absolutely. So, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm like a black rifle coffee nut, man. So, uh, it's it's a pretty good, a pretty good connection here. But th- uh, w- tell me, tell me a little bit about Code of the West. What is Code of the West, and and where did the idea of this come from? I, I'm still, again, I'm terrible with the elevator pitches unless I'm pitching a comic book, basically. But um, I'll tell you how what it was born out of. It was born out of going into like North Forty and Tractor Supply and those places, and and seeing what is sort of passed off as as Western or or reflective of of that culture. Um, like basically, it's it's like shirts on a carousel. That's like here's your Dodge fifty nine Dodge Power Wagon with American flag. That's cool. Whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the nineteen forty Ford pickup. Here's the silhouette of Cole Hauser as Rip with the Yellowstone font. It's just as a person who, I mean, at this point I was mired in coffee bags and t-shirt design and all this stuff. I'm looking at it and going, these people aren't trying. Whoever's selling this stuff or making it to sell is, is taking for granted that someone's wife's going to walk into this place and be like, Oh, that fits, that'll fit Bill and yeah. grab it. Um, and you know, like I said, I'm not a cowboy, but I feel and I think that. Well, for one, there's that part of it. I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole before I, I kind of say this one thing. I firmly believe that the way forward for us, and this is going to get a little audacious and I apologize, but I don't believe in the, the combative toxic, the toxic communication. I don't think that that's the way you mend fences. I think it's, it's the stuff that we lament or that my grandparents lamented and have been lamenting my entire life before social media. Like, Oh, no one shakes a hand and, you know, looks a man in the eye anymore. Oh, you know, no one's word really means anything. And I am firmly of the belief that that shit still exists. I, I've seen it firsthand. Not only, I know it's real. Not only does it exist, it matters. That stuff Correct. matters. It's worked for generations. And, and all of a sudden, it's like not valued anymore. Okay. I didn't mean to cut into you. No, no, no. I mean, this is going to be like a, a back and forth, I think, because like yeah. my, my thing is, is that it goes back to what we were saying about me and comics where it's like, just because it's, we can sit around and be like, Oh, this is bullshit. You know, Fox is saying this, NBC saying this. And it's like, they're all trying, they're all entertainment at this point. They're all trying to maximize viewership. They're going to, they're going to lean into whatever demographic they, they have, or they think they can, they can optimize for and it's not going to be there. No one's getting ratings increases from saying like, "Hey, I think we could all figure this out." That's not. That's not what's going to get people watching. Yeah, that doesn't. So, sound. 
And it's also what happens in social media. And so we all sit here and go like, oh, it's it's super toxic. We're all divisive. And it's like, what am I doing today myself in my in the immediate vicinity to actually go and talk to someone I don't know or to to share my ideas or to walk a walk and talk a talk? Because my experience, it's a whole hearts and minds thing. Like you, you can only machine gun blast data points to somebody on either side of the fence for so long. And mm-hmm. so code of the less to me was, it's more of like a planning the flag in the sand, but not in like the, I'm not like, I will fight you if I need to, but oftentimes I've realized in my life, I, it doesn't need to go there. And I think that I wanted to create something that not only really emphasize what I view as the heroic nature of people who are like roughnecks, cowboys, truck drivers, linemen the people who literally keep the country rolling who i think are are representative of this idea this ethos of 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 western expansion and uh the cowboy the lone person on the horizon you know staying until the job is done i think i want to elevate those people to the heroic levels that i i know that they are but then on the flip side i want them to, to know and see that they're acknowledged in some way but and, uh, let me ask you something on that, Chris, because yeah, yeah. I, uh, there's nothing you said that I disagree with there. In fact, I, I, uh, I find a lot of value in, in the ethos that you describe, and, and I think that a lot of people should. But what, one thing that, like, it, I guess, screams out to me when we're talking about this is, like, that stuff isn't valued in the masses anymore. And... How do we how do we make it so that people recognize the value in that ethos belief and or that ethos and that, and that that code I guess I suppose because like, you, you know you've got the page the code of the West hey okay hold on let's pause for just a minute you cool with that yeah oh yeah 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 let me ask you something I I'm on your yeah. Instagram here okay I've got I, I'm yeah. like I'm super. Uh, you know, like tech note up here where I've got this extra screen hooked to my laptop. So I've got your, I've got your Instagram <laughs> pulled up and yeah. I noticed Jack Carr follows you. Do you. Yeah. Jack's a friend. Do you know him? I do. I've not been up to his place yet, but, um, I've been, I've done some work for him over the years and, you know, I, we text back and forth. I just, I mean, just did some work for him that'll be coming out here soon. It's it. What's super interesting is, uh, I, I kind of like, vaguely knew who he was um and then i i i do not read fiction very often like never me neither in fact i never read fiction but i bought i i got his book uh on audible the terminal list holy Mm -hmm. shit dude like i'm I'm, they only get better yeah they've got to like i am addicted to these books man uh i'm like halfway through the second one right now uh, totally addicted. So if you talk to him, let him know. Like uh, I, from a dude, I read a lot, but it's all nonfiction that I read. I, I have. Uh, yeah, you're you're in good company because I've said the exact same thing to him. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's just how I am, man. I just I, I like I like nonfiction, but I I I kind of bit the bullet and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try this. I need to. Ch- I, I drive a lot, so I I need listening material. Yeah, totally addicted mm-hmm. to his books. So kudos to him. I'll man. let him know. Yeah, sweet. Uh, anyways, getting back to what you're talking about and the message that you're trying to portray with like the code of the West, do you feel like it's an uphill battle in today's society and, and like the, the cultural mentality or, or whatever we consider societal norm uh, today is like, what are we up against? I mean, 
it's funny because like I I was having a conversation this morning with one of the guys that worked worked for me at Black Rifle in the art department, and we were talking about kind of like growth, and he's younger, you know, significantly, like fourteen years younger than me, and um, I've I've had this really weird meandering life where I've I've lived in really rural areas. I've been on a truck. I lived in Man- I lived in Manhattan for three years, and I I was always me in all these these spaces. I've always been pretty good about just not being embarrassed or or hiding who I am, but also recognizing the fact I'm 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 an outsider, you know, uh, in a lot of ways. And I don't view it as an uphill battle because my personal experience with these things has been like I have a friend who I love and adore and is as far left as you could possibly get. But if I needed help, she's in Boise. If I, if I called her right now and said, Heather, I need you, she would get in a car and she would fucking drive a hundred miles an hour down here to help me. Dude. And okay. <laughs> How have we not met man? Like our, my wife and I are, our best friends are liberals and the wife's name is Heather. Like how does this That's hilarious? Even, it's 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 super <laughs> hilarious. Like if you knew me on on uh, like like on Facebook, I get pretty mouthy with liberals, and and it just pisses our our friend Heather off, and, and she'll <laughs> you know her and I argue back and forth. But at the end of the day, we truly are because of our history. We, they're our best friends, and and we do anything yeah. for each other. So uh, it's just crazy some of the I, things that are being brought up here. It's funny to me too because I mean, so like Heather is an example, like. I read a book called Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand when I was about 2021, I think. And it was right after a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And um, so the person that gave me Atlas Shrugged is a person named Michael Birkinshaw, who's unfortunately no longer on the earth. But he I'd known him since choir in junior high. And after high school, he he turned into like what's called a traveling kid. He basically was hopping trains, living in parks like. And he'd come back and to Boise and I'd be like, Michael, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I'd, I'd like go to my closet and give him some pants, and get him some shoes and we'd go hang out somewhere. And, uh, I like diametrically opposed as far as like politics, but then philosophically, I mean, like in the true, like, you know, stoicism idea of things, like he and I agreed on a lot of things and, and he was out of town. And I got real sick, like one and only time as an adult I've had the flu. And I used to have this obnoxious uh, doorbell on my house in Boise that sounded like a, like if you've ever been in a warehouse when someone hits the bell, it's like just harsh, like that kind of yeah, sound. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, I wake up out of a stupor and broken standing at my door with this destroyed pocket on the truck. And he looks and doesn't say hi. He just looks at me and goes, I hate this book, but you're going to love it. And I wanted you to have it. And I'm like, you know, almost a fever dream at this point. And he hands it to me and he walks away. And I'm like, did this just happen? And <laughs> I, I go back and lay down on the couch and I wake up with the books on my chest. I'm like, okay, that clearly happened. And I started reading it. And I don't know if you've ever read the book, but, um, it's what, one what, of those things say, where say the, say the book name again, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, um, she wrote the Fountainhead, and um, yes, I think I. It's a read very that. divisive book. Yes, I think I read that. It was on a on a ship library when I was in the service, and we were overseas, and the ship has a library, and I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. I read that while we were deployed. So, 
huge uh, book. I mean, it, yeah, it, yeah. it's it's like it's a divisive book, but this is kind of like the point that I'm making. Like when I would really talk to people about this book, I would realize that they had been told to hate the book. They really hadn't read it. And even people who were touting the book also found out most of the time they hadn't read it. And, and so, so Heather, so actually I went and got a tattoo of a dollar sign because the dollar sign pops up in this book a lot. And, and, Michael find, finds out about this and he's like, Oh Christ, like, no, I can't. Okay. If you're going to do this, we got to like balance the scale somehow. So we go and get tattoos together at the same time where he gets this too shall pass in my handwriting on, over, over his heart. And I get the dollar sign tattooed over my heart. And, oh, wow. um, so Heather, you know, is coming into my life around this time. And I talk about this all the time. I would talk about like my beliefs if they came up, I wasn't like, be like, hi, I'm Chris. I'm, 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 I like Atlas Shrugged. It wasn't like to that point, but, <laughs> But it, but if it came up, because this is like pre-Obama, and this is like Facebook's very new yeah. social, therefore social, like broad spectrum social media is very new. Very friendly. It's very friendly back then. Still, you super know. friendly. Yeah, yeah, and um, and and so we would exchange ideas, and I hung out in coffee shops all the time, and and you know bars. It was not about getting fucked up. It was about hanging out and having a good time, good conversation, and. Heather was like anti-gun, anti-everything. And I was like, Heather, can just come shoot, just come shoot with me. And she's like, okay, I'll come shoot with you. By the end of it, she's like, I still don't like, I'm bothered by the idea of guns. However, I want to buy a Glock now, you know, like, mm -hmm. and so, so this is all to answer that question where it's like, I think if you're looking at social media, you're looking at the comments section, especially as things that are kind of engineered to, to divide an audience, then yeah, it's, it's, all hope is lost. But then I go and look at other things or I, my algorithm is set up for or what, what I've looked at. And what I look at are things that inspire me and make me feel better about humanity. And like, I'm not an altruist. I don't believe in altruism. I believe that everybody has an angle, but that's not necessarily, that's not necessarily bad. It's just an acknowledgement of, of human behavior. And, and so I think that, and this is me, my version of like the lone, writer on the on the hill overlooking the herd is like i don't care if i'm the only one or if it's if it's an uphill battle this to me is what's right to be good to be stoic to to be moral and so the old i'll scream into the wind it's like the old cowboy adage you know do what's right not what's popular you know um correct I see, and and this is why this is why I I, I love doing my podcast, man, because I, I get to talk to people like you that have a tendency to put things into perspective that sometimes gets lost. Because I do get caught up, I do get caught up in the social media vitriol that goes back and forth. Mm -hmm. I, you Good know, word. I I I get so like hung up on how the fuck somebody could possibly in their right mind think that Joe Biden is is a good president. Yeah, you know what I mean? Just simple things like <laughs> yeah. that. Silencer Central. Folks, if you want to learn something new right alongside me, check it out at silencercentral.com. I've never put a suppressor on any of my weapons, but I'm going to start now, and I'm using Silencer Central to help get me started because they walk you through the whole process to include you can ship the rifle to them, They'll thread it, they'll put it on, and they will ship it back, and you can make payments on the whole thing while you wait for all the licensing to get approved, which they take care of for you. It's a great process, and it's a great company, American manufacturer, 
right there in South Dakota, and we are really excited to be partnering with them. So check it out at silencercentral.com or give them a call at 888-781-8778 and let them know that you heard it on the Western Huntsman. Hoffman Boots is my go-to boot. I love the Explorers in the 8-inch, and they've got the Vibram sole, totally waterproof, no break-in period. They just glue your feet to the mountain. You can't ask for more out of a boot, and you don't have to break the bank to get a pair. So check it out at HoffmanBoots.com. Again, another American company. Uh, local North Idaho friend of mine who runs this company decided to make some great hunting boots for all people that are serious about getting into the backcountry to chase elk and deer and bear and everything else out there. So check it out at hoppinboots.com. Use promo code all caps lock Huntsman 10 at checkout to save you 10%. And then, but dude, but the I, Dawson Creek I, dude was like going off about this the other day. Whatever, yeah. I, I can't remember his name. Like, he's yeah, I, I super liberal. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, and like he had to turn the comments section off because like his fan base was going crazy because he was like, "This dude's, cr- this dude's, he's senile. He's totally senile. He, he just fell off a stage again today." And and it's like I heard about not, it. I didn't see I, it. I don't even care about that. I I don't care. Yeah. I'm not going to make fun of the guy because he tripped. You know, you know that's yeah. not my thing. My thing is policy and what and and my problem is is I'm not a guy that listens to CNN or or Fox News. I, I don't believe uh-huh. either of them. I don't think that anybody in politics is has got our best interest at heart. I just I'm the same. I'm like too long in the tooth and I've I've been fucked over too many times to think that I could be like a fanboy for for one politician and and not another. But the the thing that I, I like about your message, what you're what you're getting at there is I because again I told you I, I get I get caught up in some of that sometimes and I'll I'll post mm-hmm. you know I'll post stuff on especially Facebook but oh, that's only because I have liberal family members and I like to mm-hmm. ruffle their feathers yeah uh, so so I do that shit on Facebook but you, you know for the most part I think that what happens is you get my uh, I was telling you about our friends Travis and Heather mm-hmm. you get those two around a campfire and we're a lot closer. Uh, in, oh, yeah. in philosophically than we are on like social media. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if if, I, if we only knew we each are. other if we only knew each other on social media, we would freaking hate each other's guts, right? But you yeah. get us in front of a fire and we're drinking like a bunch of teenagers till two o'clock in the morning. It's ridiculous. And and uh the the, the other side to that too is I I think that we as just a society in general, and I think social media and like the 24 hour news cycle kind of really feeds into this is, is we get really caught up in that emotion of like politics and, and what we believe Uh and how everybody else is wrong because they don't see it our way kind of thing because there's not somebody sitting across a campfire from you, looking you in the eye. Uh You know, my grandma used to say, mind your manners and mind your business. That those two things do not happen on social media, right? You don't mind your manners, you don't mind your business. That 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 kind of stuff just doesn't happen. So, so what I'm what I'm, I guess driving at is, I do think, and I've said this a million times on the show, I do think like the Democrat Party has gotten hijacked by leftists, like these oh, extremists yeah. that are absolutely woke, out of their mind, nut jobs, and I feel bad and. 
And for anybody that questions that, because I've said this a few times and I'll get a bunch of nasty messages, but think about this, folks. If if Bill Clinton was running on the same platform he ran in against uh, George Bush, he would never get elected today. Never. He wouldn't even get the nomination. He wouldn't even get the nomination. He's he wouldn't be left enough. He he would get canceled. He was in no no freaking way would he win. But you compare that to Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan would have a great shot at getting elected today. So the mm-hmm. the comparison is. I haven't changed. I'm I'm 40 some odd years old. I I'm still the same dude I was when I was young and just getting out of the military and and my principles and beliefs. It's the left that has been hijacked and I feel bad for the common democrat that uh you know just has like this almost Jimmy Carter do good, you know, kind of attitude. Uh you know, it, that just doesn't exist in the left anymore. And so No. Anyway, I kind of took us down a rabbit trail, man. Sorry. No, 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 no. It's I'm here but, for it and because, like, I mean, I, I would say you're, you're getting really close to like why it takes me a little while to spin up sometimes. But like, I think we've lost our identity. That's that's really what the point of Code of the West is: is that we've lost the unifying way of looking at ourselves. Because even what you're describing, there's always been two parties maybe with like a wild card in there like you know like the bull moose party or yeah yeah um there's you know, a bull moose thing. party like, man we need to bring that back <laughs> oh god <laughs> no, yeah kidding. it's gonna take more it's gonna take more than that to kill a bull moose right <laughs> um but um you know it's always been some form of a two-party system and it and, and that's fluctuated republicans for democrats in terms of stances vice versa but like but we all saw ourselves as american and i think that and this is where the storyteller stuff comes in because i'm telling you already that like yeah, yeah, I'm writing comics and telling stories. And then I'm looking at brands and realizing, well, those are just stories you kind of live inside of. And then I'm looking at national identity and, you know, history and the things that are being attacked and things that are literally being destroyed. And I'm in my head, I'm like, we lost a story. It's not just that John Wayne died or that Clint Eastwood talks to an empty chair on the Republican National Convention yeah, stage. Like that. it's it's yeah, it's still never quite figured out what, how that was supposed to land but um <laughs> it it, it the, my point being that i i might not have the right answer i probably don't but i do think that there was a cohesion at some point and people forget very easily that like regardless of whether or not you are believe in current dating or you believe that the world six thousand years old at the very least, it took 6,000 years to get here, to get to this moment Yeah. for 270-some years, um, or I guess, no, 250, basically, um, for for there to be self-government for the first time in human history. God, and, that's a great point, and, man. Yeah, it took all of that to get a group of guys that are willing to be like, yeah, fuck it. Like, what have we got to lose, man, other than everything? Um, yeah, yeah. To, to just say... But but you, it was always the West. It was always okay. We'll leave the old country. We'll go across the ocean. We're at, we're at you know Virginia. We're going to go to Ohio. We're going to go to Kansas. We're going to go to Idaho and Washington and all these other places. And granted, there's like politics and property that's being purchased and taken or whatever how you want to say it. But like the idea of the West has always been a part of the fabric of the people that came here the people that founded the country. And so the West, ironically, the way I see it is not just, well, it, it, it sort of ended, it culminated, I feel like, with the idea, the romanticized idea of the cowboy, but it's a deeply American idea 
And, and, and so my personal experience with this has been like, um, you know, looking at who's buying things from code of the West, it's New York city, it's San Francisco, it's Seattle and it's Texas and it's Idaho. And these are the, these are the places, but you know, so my comic book that like won the awards and stuff that like was my sort of mountain that I climbed, it's a black and white comic about a misogynistic Marine from world war one that has P undiagnosed PTSD that beat March, which was a book about, um, Oh, what's the name? The, the, uh, the, the black Senator that marches Martin Luther King, um, oh, yeah, yeah, died yeah. a few years ago. Yeah. I know my, my, my book, I just described you beat March for graphic novel of the year. Really? So, yeah, like so, I'm I'm sitting there going like, I, when that book was coming out, like I'm like, I, I I gave you the worst description of it, but it's accurate. It, 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 the whole point of the book is like seeing the arc of somebody kind of find themselves again. And but I'm still when I did it, I'm like, man, I'm gonna get fucking torn apart. Like every I'm I am doing something that is like in 2016. It was I'm like looking down the abyss of Me Too of of wokeism. I'm like, this is coming. This is this is probably the last time someone's going to do some shit like this. But fuck it, I'm I'm here, so I'll uh -huh. do it. Yeah, yeah. And and then everybody loved it. And and so I'm sitting there and going like, hold on. So if I can trick somebody basically into like feeling like they they like this asshole, like if, if I if I tell you he's kind of like not a good guy, but then I show you that he is a good guy, you're okay with that tell you who's a good guy and you think he's a bad guy that's that's where the psychological shift puts me as the enemy so it's a really odd thing to realize super interesting man it's like um i don't know how to describe that you know going back to your description initially you know the code of the west and and what kind of you envision as this this ethic of of the west um you know, the West does symbolize it, it. There's this underlining symbolization of the West that is it's like this new beginning. It's this new mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, this new horizon, unfounded and wild. And I think that one of the draws when you when you read some of the historical, you know, these folks would would come West and they'd write these diaries and they'd explain why they're doing it. It wasn't uh -huh. because they just wanted some free land. You know, there there was this nostalgia, this this uh, new beginning, this fresh place, this wild place that and I hate to quote the movie A River Runs Through It, but there, Please, I'm here for it. You, you know, he talks about how, you know, Missoula, Montana at the time is this is this place still wet with dew and untouched by man. And th that was really appealing uh, to to a lot of people because it, the the people that were here. The, the Native Americans, they, they they didn't disrupt the land like we do, you know, no. and, and so there there was like this this wildness to it. And, and I think that that was the draw. And, and so when you talk about it in the context of today, you're talking about like, you know, people in New York are buying buying some of this stuff and and the, and the book and the and um, I'm, I'm on uh, I'm like sometimes I talk and read at the same time and it really fucks me up. The code of the West dot <laughs> U.S. Uh, is is your website here, and you've got like hats and mm -hmm. shirts and all this stuff. It's it's a really cool website. But anyway, the uh, the point is 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 even those folks that are they spend their days in cubicles in New York City, or or you know they the the, co the concrete surrounds, you know they're they they don't have this vast openness 
uh, that that you know we live with every day. But mm-hmm. deep down, the draw for that is within like this primal thing that is within everybody's soul, especially Americans. And I, I think that 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 is why it does so well. You, you know, these these people they they have that feeling. I, it it goes even. I'd even take that a step further, man. Where like even the anti-hunter, the staunchest, like the president of PETA, uh, you know, the staunchest anti-hunting extremist animal activist you could see out there, I think even they sometimes and periodically will daydream about themselves hunting on a mountain. I have no doubt about. I have no doubt about it. I just. I mean, and, I, and maybe they, maybe they, maybe the context is different. Like that. Yeah. That thing is bred into us, I think. And I don't know. I wouldn't go so far as to say humans. I think it can be bred out. I think that, you know, like if you really think about who left Europe, who showed up, like you keep whittling away as, as that frontier keeps getting further and further out. You, you, the people who initially come, well, you know what? Like I got my, I got my, my, my empire that they built in New York City. I don't feel like going to Kansas. So somebody goes to Kansas. So when they build their cattle, you know, beef empire. I don't really feel like going to Texas. I don't feel like going to Idaho. So by the time you get out here, you've got like the shit kickers. You've got the distillation mm-hmm. of the original people that showed up. And and that's why I think that like, you know, this is kind of like, I wouldn't say it's the last frontier. I mean, I think that like, you know, I, not to get all Elon about, about it, but like there's going to always be some, if we don't destroy ourselves, there will always be a new horizon somewhere to, to go chase. I agree. But I, I think that um, what, there is something deeply rooted in Americans and, and like you said, whether or not they want to see themselves as that or not, they, it, it can be awakened. And I think storytelling is one way to, it is maybe the main way to do it. I mean, I think it's hilarious that you have all these people in Hollywood who are anti-gun and some of these people make their living shooting people on camera. Totally. Well, and, I, and I'm sorry, there, there's an Alec Baldwin joke in there. I don't want to make, but like, it's not, <laughs> I'm just going to head it off at the path. It's, it's like, even a Western dude. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, uh, but I mean, it's like, it, it's like you can't, people want to say like, Oh, the idea, the visceral reality. I mean, you're a Marine, like the visceral reality of, of, of maintaining, having doing just, even if you were in peacetime, like there is a responsibility, you know, that as a hunter, like um, it, but then there's this wanton kind of like just willy nilliness to like, Oh yeah, yeah. We can just shoot guns on camera. Cause that's fake. It's not real. Well, your decisions and the things that you put out into the world, they have they have an impact on things. And I believe I believe that this is kind of goes back to the whole thing about whether or not like I'm chasing, you know, or I'm screaming into the wind with Code of the West. It doesn't matter to me because like I know that it does matter to me to say these things and, yeah. and to to try to be this person, try to be a better person tomorrow as well. Like if I can reawaken something in somebody or I can tell them a story. I think of the short, happy life of Francis McComber a lot. I don't know if you ever get to Hemingway. I know mm-hmm. you, you don't read a lot of nonfiction. No. That, I go back to that book a lot, or that story, rather. Yeah, and I I feel like we have, I don't know, maybe, I'm, maybe I misinterpreted what you were saying there, but we, we may have this, this tendency to try to find all this... Um, you know what? I don't even know where I'm going with that, dude. I don't want to go down that road. Um, no, no, no. I mean, I think I can probably kind of sum it up where I think that um, we can spend all the time, like you said, we can, we can troll each other, we can jab each other. I think in person, 
I mean, shit. I, I've hung out with enough of you Marines. All you do is give each other shit. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah, you gotta if you're gonna be in the if you're gonna be in that club, man, you gotta be able to have some thick skin because that's what that's what we do. We gripe and we give yeah, each other but, shit and we love each other. And you under you all understand that. You all know the rules mm-hmm. of the game. And and I think that with social media, like what your grandmother said about mind your manners, mind your business. I remember my mom telling me at the beginning of social media, she's like, "Hey, you know what? Just make sure you're still you when you're whenever you're on that thing." Yeah, yeah, and, be you. And nobody is. And, and I, you know, what's funny is like I can't tell you how many times like I can actually count on two hands how many times someone's tried to like get really trolly on my Instagram, and I every time I just respond as if I were to have responded in person, which is I acknowledge what they're saying. I kind of say my piece about it, but I like, I've had people apologize to me after the fact. Yeah. Like we're like full on trolls. Like where all I'm doing is being like, Hey, I get it. You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I grew up in Idaho. Like I, I lived in New York a little bit or whatever. It depends on what the, the, the thing was, but like, you know, I, Either they don't respond or they end up following me. That it's like punching a bully in the nose. It's it's really weird. But um, well, uh, well, you nailed it, man. The only way to stop a bully is to is to punch him in the nose. And I think that that sometimes if you respond in that kind of way, you're showing the other person that they're not talking to a computer. They're not talking to Instagram. They're, they're, this mm-hmm. is there's there's a humanistic element element to this, and that other person is another human. And see, I, I have a policy with my social media. I will not say stuff online that I wouldn't say to that individual in person. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that I, yep. I, I really hold to that. And some people might not believe it, but I am a Marine and I do get lippy with people. I, I will I will yeah. correct people at a gas station or something in person yeah. if they're fucking around. Like I told somebody at the gas station the other day, this I I understand you like your lottery tickets, but this is not a casino. Like get the fuck out of the way so we can all buy our stuff and go. Oh God, that's the worst. Yeah, Are you talking about like when someone's like got like the twenty the twenty scratch offs and like oh yeah, fucking, and they're and they're yeah. like they sit there and they act like okay, I'm gonna scratch this one and and then trade it in and then scratch this one and trade it. In. No, no, bitch. Get your stuff and get out of the way because uh, like we're all, I I just want to buy this cup of coffee. I don't want to wait for you to do all your lottery tickets. So uh, whatever with that, but I I am the same person um, in person that I will be online. And, and I've really, and I haven't always been like that. I was a lot more aggressive back in the day. Uh, Like when Facebook started turning nasty around the time, I I don't know. It was was around the time like Obama and McCain were going at it during that election cycle. Oh wait, to me that that, like I remember there being a like a defining line. And when Obama won, Mm -hmm. it was like a cultural war had had like been declared. I didn't realize, and then also won overnight. Like I I swear to God, like it changed changed as soon as that hit. Yeah, I I totally agree, and I think that's that's when social media started getting pretty nasty. Uh, yeah. and, and I kind of fell for that for a long time. And I, then I made, made the decision, you know, years ago that it, no, man, the, who I am is, is going to be who I am. Does that mean, you know, uh, Chris, I live on a homestead, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I'll, uh, I, I think about posting videos of how I split and stack wood and I'm going like to do, do that, sometimes. right? <laughs> I'm going to do it that way. And I'm going to show me uh, splitting my best logs. And I'm going to be, you know, my best handiwork with an axe. Am I going to show myself missing the log and hitting myself in the shin? No, I'm not going to do that. Unless it's funny. 
It might be funny. I yeah. might, actually, I might do that. But uh, for the most part, I'm showing the best of the best examples of what, what life is like. Version. The curated version. I'm not showing the nasty shit. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the ugly part of it, yeah. Because a, it's you know not that inspiring, and and b, it's it's uh it's kind of embarrassing sometimes what I do, and and uh, I I don't get embarrassed easy, so you know that's saying something. But <laughs> you know, going back to what you were talking about, like like the the this dichotomy of of these Hollywood actors that that rail against gun rights and and want to take your guns, but yet they go out and make millions of dollars in these movies that are full of gun violence. And glorifying it. Glorifying it. And what's funny is you know, you know deep down that while they're filming this like battle scene with a with their whatever gun they're using, whatever, you know they're enjoying that. They're enjoying oh, the explosions. Yeah. The the this this uh pretending to be in this situation that they're not really in is enjoyable because that's what's you know, every especially men, I'm I'm not gonna speak for women, but especially men, we have uh, a, a DNA built for being a warrior, and and that's mm-hmm. that's how it goes back through the beginning of time. That that's what's built into our. That, this is why I don't agree with raising your children without you know act, acting like a toy gun is like this big problem or or avoid violence at all costs. No hell no, man. I mm-hmm. teach my kids that a gun is a tool. This is how you use it, and the only way to stop a bully is to punch him in the face. And and my mom, my mom taught me that. Oh, my mom did too, man. My mom made me fight this dude named Glade when I was in uh, sixth grade, right there in Draper, Utah. Uh, and 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 he was picking on my little brother. And uh, my mom is she wouldn't have any shit. I had to go kick his ass. Well, it was kind of a draw. It ended up being a draw. And I didn't yeah. want to fight him because everybody thought he was so tough. But once I stood up to him, man, he wasn't that tough, and he never fucked with my little brother again. And so. And there's, there's something to that. And I, mean, I didn't, I even, the first I didn't even have to boy. kick his ass. Yeah. I didn't even no. have It was a draw. Come on now. I remember the first time I punched a kid and I'd like, I, my, my mom had always said like, you know, give him a warning, you know, like tell him if they do that again, you're going to hit him and then pop him. And this kid fucked around and found out, but I didn't really know how to punch <laughs> very well. And so I, yeah. it was at the bus stop too. And I glanced, I glanced my, like my knuckle off his chin. I didn't hit him. But like, I remember looking and being like, I need to reset and do that again. And then I popped him the second time. And it wasn't that he was pissed that I hit him hard. He was pissed because I told him I was only going to hit him once. And he's like, yeah. you only said you'd hit me one time. And I'm like, that's the issue here. You know, like, and that kid followed me around like a puppy dog afterwards. And that was like one of these lessons that I learned at an early age. Where I'm like, I don't, I'm going to unpack that over time. And I, so to your point, I do, I, I 100% agree with you. I don't have kids to my knowledge. Um, but, um, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you weren't a Marine, were you? <laughs> no, I'm, like, I'm friends with a, I'm friends with a lot of you guys, Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of common ground. I don't have any um, other American children. <laughs> yeah. No. Stateside. No. Uh, but, oh, um, like, you know, there, oh, yeah, clearly. Uh, but there's the, the, these lessons that, that used to be when, even as a bubble kid, I was still forced into these situations my family was forcing me what i'm forcing me like i i wanted to be indiana jones i wanted to be you know john wayne like yeah. uh that's 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 who i looked up it's to i mean i had DNA. a fedora yeah like it's just give me i i remember like there's a movie that i love and i'm, I'm still obsessed with called Smokey and the bandit oh and, yeah um yeah. oh oh my god and and my dad drove trucks and everything and we'd go to the louisville truck show every once in a while and there was a year where jerry reed was there 
And I didn't realize Jerry, this is the first time I realized that actors were actors. But I thought Smokey and the Bandit was basically a documentary. Like <laughs> I thought that's what truck driving was. It's like, it, and like, yeah, reality TV yeah. before it existed. Yeah. And so like, we, like my, we ran Jerry Reed down. He like left his booth. He was gone for the day. And like, we basically stopped him on the way to the bathroom. And I was like, Cletus, like I was yelling Cletus, like snowman. And he's like, Oh, what's up little driver. And like turns around and like, they have these like shitty, like, you know, print off the, the printer, like black and white photos of him as, you know, snowman and, and smoking the bandit. And he's like, to, you know, to my little driver, like, you know, Chris, like, I, I thought it was the coolest thing, but but my point is, I thought I thought movies were real. So yeah. I thought Indiana Jones and and Cletus and and Han Solo. I know I'm really leaning hard into the Harrison Ford thing there, but like I, I the way I perceived them as a kid was like this is this is something to aspire to, absolutely. You know, and 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 then I later got into Joseph Campbell and the Hero's Journey, and uh, if you've never gone down that rabbit hole and you like nonfiction, my God. Like that's a hell of a that's hell a hell of a rabbit hole to go down. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, no, I I think I think what you're saying is is kind of the childhood that that many of us had, where the the bad guy versus the ba- uh, good guy. You know, uh, there's a country song from Clint Black that talks about uh you, you know the good guy wears a white hat, the black the bad mm-hmm. guy wears a black cowboy hat. You know, and 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 that that uh, that tit for tat that you know good versus evil i think is built in everybody's dna and it doesn't matter it's not just an american thing like if you go back if you go go back 200 years from right now you will find that the japanese were raising their children to honor and learn from the samurai warrior right and Bushido. exactly and and at the same exact time Prior to the settlement of the state of Idaho um, at that time, um, the Nez Perce Indians here in, in the state of Idaho were honoring a, uh, a warrior. They, I can't remember the, the actual native term for it, but it basically meant coyote. And he, took, mm-hmm. he stole the heart of the monster. The heart of the monster was eating all the beasts and all the people. And Coyote went into the, the 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 heart of the beast, let the let the monster swallow him, and he goes down there and he cuts the monster's heart out, and it releases all the animals. And so now we have grizzly bears and buffalo and and all these things ro- roaming in in north central Idaho. Uh, and I'm I'm kind of slaughtering the story. My no, point, no, you're doing great. My point is is when you compare those two different cultures, and then you know at that same time the East Coast was being settled, and and but but it wasn't like Justin Bieber that children back then were looking up to. They were looking up to mm-hmm. the generals that had won the Revolutionary War, and and these mm-hmm. these warriors from way back, and Napoleon is is all over in the news. All these things that are taking place, this warriorship that youngsters were taught to respect and honor and and live up to because th- that mm-hmm. is a code this is a code that we have to live up to to protect those who cannot protect themselves and and defend what is right against the evil forces out there but when you take a look at all these different cultural things and I'm I'm only using three examples you you go all the way around yeah. the world there's hundreds of examples of that exact same time frame they are not related. There's no Facebook. There's no CNN. There's no news. There's no anything to know 
that the Nez Perce warriors are are teaching, or I'm sorry, the Nez, Nez Perce cultures are teaching their children in the same, roughly the same method that like the, the, the cultural Japanese samurai were doing on their home turf and, and the uh, colonists or, or new Americans uh, on the East Coast or, or the um, Aborigine tribes in, in Australia and the, 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 you know, Greeks teaching about the Spartans. All these things were taking place. Um, not the Spartans, they were way back, but, um, you get the, we drift, get the hot right? lights and all that stuff. It's, yeah. it's not like these are connected cultures, but they're all teaching roughly the same thing to honor and have a code to protect those that cannot con- uh, protect themselves. And that's why you and I, when we grow up, we're looking up, we're looking up to people like Clint Eastwood and John Wayne and, and these defenders of justice that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and now we've we've moved into this culture where that's frowned upon. And, and it's like, you know, we don't want violence. And coming from people, you know, we were talking about the actors that, that they're anti-gun, but they're shooting up stuff on TV. They don't even know what real violence is. You know, they, they don't know what real violence is. And so it's it's such a conundrum to me. And it just like my my I, I start going through these mental gymnastics over this stuff because it bothers me. I, I don't know if I'm making let me sense, let me man. let me tell you are. But I, it's funny because you basically just explained why I think that there's hope because so like what you're describing is not unlike the Joseph Campbell stuff that I'm referring to with the hero's journey. Because um, and the monomyth is what it's referred to, because it, it gets into the whole like idea of like creation myths around the world that are super isolated. You know, we're talking six thousand years ago. Everybody has a great flood. Everybody's got some version of like a deity constructing man. Mm-hmm. But what gets really interesting is when he when he starts getting into these cultural stories and uh, like the oldest recorded so far, oldest recorded story in human history. Is out of Mesopotamia. It's, it's called the Epic of Gilgamesh. Yes, and yeah. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, like basically, a guy a guy leaves the security of of the city. At this point, cities have walls. He goes outside of the city walls. He wrestles a dude. They become friends. They go fight some shit. They come back. Everything's changed. Then years go by. He's kind of the leader, and he goes and kills a dragon and dies in that process. Hundreds of hundreds and thousands of years later, Beowulf guy leaves, goes out finds a creature, protects people, kills the creature, goes home, basically is the king, waits until a dragon shows up. This is like wash, rinse, repeat over multiple cultures, over thousands of years. And so why I have hope is that in the same vein that it took 6,000 years for us to to get to this point of self-governance, that's still 6,000 years of human history and human biology that whether, like I said, however you look at it and view it, how far back humans go, at the very least, you got the 6,000. And I think that this is, we're living through a temporary blip. Now, that, that sucks for those of us who are here right now. Yeah. But, but we, I, that, that's all the more reason why I'm like, hold the line, keep the fire. No, I teach I, the next generation. Absolutely, man. I, I think you're exactly right. I think this is a blip. And it's only, it's only a blip in like first world, you know, countries. They're not, yeah. they're not running around in third world countries wondering what gender they are because they have bigger problems, <laughs> right? And so, uh-huh. and I think that that's what happens in, in like, when we're talking about like the woke culture of today is these, these people that are activists and, and I'll use the gender thing, you know, these, these like trans activists that want everybody to, 
you know, not just accept but celebrate their their choices or and whatnot. The problem is, is deep down in it, within their own soul, they know that this is unnatural and it is not right and it's not biologically accurate. It's not foundationally correct. That's why they get so emotional about it. I have a lot, have a lot of friends it. that are on the left side that are real. They'll never cop to it publicly, but the, it, the whole thing is, is, is just as infuriating or confusing for that matter. Like, and I'm mm-hmm. like very much of the like, man, you fucking want to be an elephant. That's fine. I don't give a shit. Like, I'm going to do me. Now you tell oh, everybody I'm else like around that. me they need to be an elephant. That's fuck. No, n- you nailed it. That's that's where I'm at, man. I, I can give two shits less if somebody wants to live as a transgender. Got two shits less. Yeah. But when you start trying to indoctrinate my children and sexualizing my children and telling me that he, uh, the 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 gender, the natural God-given gender of of, of a child should be uh, changed and castration, chemical castration and surgical castration should take place on, on minors that can't even decide what fucking bedtime they should have. Yeah, I'm sorry. That doesn't that doesn't well, and, compute and, and, and for the, me. The doctor thing. I, I I don't know how. I didn't go super far down the rabbit hole, but I remember seeing some things where it's kind of getting to this whole point where it's like, hey, doctors are have the ability to pull kids aside without the parents and be like, hey, is there something you want to tell me about this? Like, do you do you, are you a boy or are you a girl? Kind of thing. It's like, man, no. Like, I, I no. I yeah. remember. I re- I still remember quite vividly, like just how hard it was to talk to a girl when I was fucking 11. I'm, I was not of the mind to be like, well, you know what? Maybe I don't need my dick. Like, yeah, I, I just, right? it, <laughs> it, it, like it, it just, I, but I mean, again, it, it's uh, goes kind of back to the whole politician thing where it's like, I think politicians are pretty much for the most part, the worst humans on earth. And we've gotten to the point now with the lobbyists and, and the, the way the structure is set up, it's not really like a great system. It's just people know how to maximize and, and manipulate that system. Yeah. And you're going to love the later Jack Carr books, by the way, like, because it really starts into shit like that. Oh, I'm um, stoked, like man. The, the terminalist stuff. Oh, I'm, I'm super I mean, you, excited. They touch on it a little bit in, in the first book. And then the second book's kind of, I don't want to spoil anything, but like third, fourth and fifth and onward, you know, it's like, it's really starting to talk about like, I don't want to say the swamp. Cause it's just kind of like an overused term at this point, but like just the bureaucracy and like how, you know, I, rem- I remember when the the Patriot Act got published. I remember being at, at Barnes and Nobles, and I after nine eleven happened. I was, uh, you know, like everybody who was I think alive at that point was like, let's go burn some shit down. Um, I was in high school, and I remember like re- you had to read things and listen on the radio and listen on TV about how big the Patriot Act was. I remember somebody describing it as the yeah. size of a phone book. And it getting pushed through. And as a kid going like, that doesn't seem right. You know, like that seems like we, did someone really read that? Cause how is that possible? And then I saw it and I was like, there's no fucking way that someone read that. Like before they all agreed to it. And I, and I yeah. remember as a kid, like being 16 and going like, I think that's going to bite us in the ass someday. Guess what? It did. You know, it, and, and, and like the, the, the now you've got a surveillance state essentially. And, uh, I mean, I remember like, so I never really talked politics. I talked philosophy and, and classical liberalism, you know, the idea of like, what are the founding principles of the country? What is the difference between a democracy and a Republic, for instance? And, Mm -hmm. you know, 
and it got to the point where it's like, man, if you can't even answer the base level question of like, what is the system of governance that we have? Why do you have an opinion about the government then? Like, um, you know what I'm saying? Well, I think that that's that's the problem right there. That what you talk about is everybody runs around and and they don't even understand. Like if you if you were to go to a college campus these days and ask what the branches of government are, they like they can't even define them. They can't define the difference between a democracy and a rep, uh, a republic. It's it they don't. Everybody's so worried about the culture war and and these, you know, accusing America of being evil because of what happened over a century ago. It's those kind of things that serves nobody and it does not serve your own country to make it better. So so why tear it down? Why? Why run amok with these ideas of? Well, I know why, but. Um, it's such a complicated thing, man. To, to me, in my head, the way that I hold it, I think it's complicated if you're trying to untangle the Christmas lights completely. But from for like the way I see it is the way I was raised to see it, which is we, we see only so far because we stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. You don't get the enlightenment without the things that happened before it. You don't get you don't get uh, the United States with you know without Kant and and like you know the idea of, of Adam Smith's wealth of nations, like you, like you, everything is a step further in history. So like where, wherever we're at right now, assuming that we were still in that path, which I, I, I don't know if we are, to be honest with you, or it's going to have to be distilled and kind of juking a little bit. But, you know, as a kid, I remember being like, okay, you know, we had slaves in the 19th century, but we don't have slaves in the 20th century because we figured it out. We were like, that's not cool. And we're just not going to do that to humans anymore. Um, yeah. And not, not only did we come to that realization, we're the only we are the only country in world history that actually sent troops to die to end slavery. And so uh-huh. it's yep. it's like, like why recognize just the bad part of it, you know, uh, and, and not the good part of it. Uh, it it's yeah. It's yeah. I mean, there's, me there's a, I mean, you, we can throw a dart at human history and be like, that wasn't cool. Um, but like you have a nation. In, in, in the United States that is committed to the idea of getting better. It's an experiment. It was mm-hmm. articulated and framed as an experiment. And, but this, again, I was raised by patriots and people who like, who were students of the history of their nation. And I think that like, I mean, you know, you said you have a homestead, you're up North. Like, you know, I'm, there is like a, a movement that I've been seeing as I've, I've been optimizing for code of the West and paying less attention to, my personal account and, and seeing more like what's going on in these different little corners of Instagram. Not that that's a great indicator of, of the world. Well, I actually, I actually think things it, are happening. I think it is Chris. I, I think, I think there is something you could take from something like Instagram as an indication as to what, like the, the, the cultural shift that may be happening. And, and I, I actually, as nasty and sour as I get about certain things, I actually have a lot of optimism for our country and the future. Uh, and and the I've seen a lot of people standing up, not not getting mowed over and steamrolled mm-hmm. by these woke leftists. And 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 you you can have progressives on the right and the left too. My buddy Chris Rowe taught me this, and and that mm-hmm. you know that I think it's important to recognize that. But right now we're dealing with progressives from the left, and people are starting to stand up for it. 
People are saying, you know yeah. what? This is not natural. This is not what my country is. This is not what is going to advance our civilization and maintain it for the long run. And it's it's detrimental. And so I think you're right. We're seeing it. We're seeing it on social media. We're seeing it in the way people are responding to the, the current events happening happening out there. I I mean I don't I don't know why I sometimes act like I'm shy. Look at fucking Bud Light. Nobody buys fucking yeah. Bud Light anymore because they had a douchebag campaign of whatever. Because capitalism, I, I love that system when, it, when, it, when yeah. it's not corporatism. It allows us to vote with our money. Yep, and that's, uh, that's a super important indicator as to what the mindset of the, the populace is because the money, uh, you know, it is money that walks and talks, man. Uh, and, and, yeah. and you're seeing it. And I, and I think that, like, I mean, this is where my because I've, I've always, um, you might relate to this, but you also served, you know, I I did not, so like you already kind of answered the call to action, but I I always felt like in my mind, in my heart, however you want to say that, that I, I've always been waiting for the thing that I needed to do, if if that makes sense, mm-hmm. and and. and I like, I thought about joining the Marines. Like I was, like I said, I had a bunch of friends that were our neighbor down the street had been a Lieutenant in the Pacific. And that was, I mean, Mr. Cook was an epic human. Um, so I, I grew up before the Pacific and HBO miniseries and all that stuff. Like I grew up with a guy who had maps downstairs that he pulled out of fucking bunkers after he'd like grenaded these guys, you know? No kidding, um, huh? Oh, I actually have uh, all of this stuff in Ohio. Like, I need to figure out what to do with it. I feel like, I mean, he, he pulled orders off the cork boards on the ships that he was on before they go uh, onto an island. Like, he has things that nobody else has. Can um, you, I, I don't know. I don't know if you have a way to take pictures of some of that. I'd love to see some of that stuff, man. I, I geek. I'll out have to go digging. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back to Ohio this month, actually, because I need to. My my grandfather unfortunately passed away earlier this year, and he was kind of like the, oh, the keeper of things. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate that, but I like I said, I went back to Ohio and I spent time. We said everything that we needed to say, and um, yeah, you know, I, I I got I got a good second wind, you know. And so the grandpa, um, sad that he's gone, but uh, nothing, no regrets there. It's but, just a, um, the, the natural cycle of things, man. You'll see him again. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so uh, I, I have some of that stuff. He'd send me emails. I could probably find it, but I'll be going through it. I mean, it's a substantial amount of stuff. But my wow. point being is that, like, you know, it, it, I, like, I remember, like, exploring the idea of being a combat illustrator. And then I was talking to a recruiter, and they're like, man, you're not going to, they're not going to, you're not going to do that. Like, it doesn't matter how good you are. It's, it's a fucking fluke. Um, yeah. And then I had friends that had been in Fallujah, and they're like, man, don't do it. You, you can do something else. You, you can tell stories. Like, you know us. You're friends with us. Like, you, this is not this is not what you have to do. Take our word for it. And I was like, okay. Like, and I probably couldn't have passed the physical anyways with the asthma. But like, they they all kind of got me to this point where they're like, just hold on, just just wait. And and so I'd always been kind of sitting there, and you know, I did like I said, Carver was I, more of a convenience, a marriage of convenience, because I just knew so much about Marines. When I was trying to think of like what would like my version of Indiana Jones in the early 20th century look like, I'm like, no, I probably would have been a Bella Wood Marine, honestly. Yeah. And 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 so every little stepping stone got me a little bit further and a little bit further, and then eventually, like I was saying, it it kind of came from being in a D and B and looking at you know these shitty things, shitty capitalistic products, whatever you want to call them, 
but to me they represented something else they've represented this sort of like uh dismissiveness about who i think people are that are very important to to the country and to the world and that are taken for granted and i was like man i could tell stories about those people are, are you talking and about like people like mr cook yeah mr cook i mean yeah. like i mean shoot like so my grandfather my grandfather would stress out because like mr cook didn't have kids and we also had some other friends from church like that had been in the european theater mr cross and he had he had heirlooms from his family from the civil war you know he had he had orders wow, from, really? from yeah i mean and that's all there like but my grandfather was so worried because he, he had been trusted to hold on to these things and and i'm sitting here so like code of the west is something like that's been in the back of my head for a long time and then my grandpa's stressing about like basically this existential crisis of like how does he preserve the idea of these humans you know these people that i knew like he doesn't want them to be lost to time i, I and i love uh, sorry i cut you off there go ahead no 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 go ahead go ahead no go ahead no i i love i love the whole idea man because uh, i it, like i said i'm on your I, i've got your website pulled up here it says live with courage keep your word but i worry about that too so one thing that like i'll share i think i've said i, I think i've described or uh, told this story before but when i was in the marines we had this, uh, and and again, this was years ago, so you know, bear with me. But yeah. I got I got to meet the guy that had my exact job. I was the uh, first squad, second fire team leader of first platoon, second battalion, second marines. Right. Okay. I got to meet that exact guy that had my job, or I had his job years later. Uh, that landed on the beach of Tarawa. In World oh. War Two, and oh, I just got chills. The uh, it was one of the most amazing, most vivid days. This is before we'd gone to Iraq and all that stuff. This is I I want to say it was actually before. No, it was after nine eleven. It was after nine eleven. So because uh, I remember him uh, talking about he the, the dude was a millionaire at this point. He's eighty some odd years old. Had this. Uh, Van that he came up to Camp Lejeune for the this this World War Two Second uh, Battalion Second Marines reunion, and we all you know our it was our job to kind of tour him around the base and show him mm -hmm. all the modern weapons and and the guy you guys had scrounged from the army. What's that? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All our all, all our hand me down shit, and uh, <laughs> he gave me a picture of his company, uh, which was uh, so we were Echo Company, but. During World War II, they called it Easy Company. So we officially yeah. changed to Easy, Easy Company. Company. Yep. So we became Easy Company, 2nd Battalion, 2nd Marines. And that's actually what we ended up going into Iraq with and, and Kosovo and, and uh, uh, some of the, the terrorism stuff that we, we ended up doing in Africa and, and whatnot. But I, I don't know what the hell is classified and not classified anymore. Uh, <laughs> so anyway... Um, we we became Easy Company, and and uh, in honor of these World War II veterans that we got to meet. But he gave me this picture of Easy Company two two, uh, with this little container of sand attached to the picture, and I still have it to this day. And mm -hmm. the sand is from the beach of Tarawa, uh, from oh when he got to go back and visit Tarawa in like 1991 or something like that. But um, incredible experience, and it's it's he's long gone now. He owned a bunch of Hooters yeah. restaurants in uh, Fuck Florida. Yeah, he did. Fucking Marine, dude. <laughs> he's a Marine, and so he he owned like three or four Hooters restaurants. In fact, he implied to me 
when I took him out drinking that night, well, no, he took me out drinking. Um, yeah. And could drink me under the table. But uh, he implied to me that he disliked his pussy-ass son and would consider me taking over his restaurants for him. Uh, but I was still in the Marines and, you know, lost contact or whatever. And so we we closed down a bar in Jacksonville, North Carolina that night, which is just outside of Camp Lejeune there. Uh, and I had a ball with this guy. But I worry about, like, his legacy. When you look at the picture that he left me, he put circles around the people that survived and X's on the guys that did not make it off of Tarawa. And the X's outweighed the circles. Not a lot of guys made it off of, uh, out of Easy Company 2-2 off of Tarawa. Uh, it was a big fucking deal. And and so yeah. the, the losing... Uh, we get so caught up in the fucking Kardashians and, and, and everything else culturally, you know, who's going to respect what gender I am today and who's going to vote for this politician and, and what news channel do you watch and all this stuff. We lose sight of the fact that there's people like this that provided this quality of life for us. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it worries me because I don't think that they're interested in honoring and learning about that kind of stuff. What say you? I, I agree with you, but at the same time, though, I wonder, you know, it's, it's, I, I can't, I'm going to butcher the quote, but it's like, it's like, exceptional circumstances make exceptional men or some, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Like, we're, I remember, you know, being a kid in the 80s and 90s and like hearing my grandpa and Mr. Cook talk about this kind of stuff and being like, well, you know, there's no war right now, basically. Like, no, well, everybody's getting soft. We're coming out of the Reagan years where Cold War is over, but it's like, it was a cold war. It wasn't, you know, there were, there were proxy wars and all that shit happened, but like full on, like access of evil shit that was yeah. coming later, like, um, hadn't really happened And you know, my generation, you know, my friends that went and served, you know, like I said, most of them are Marines and I didn't understand how bad Fallujah was to be honest with you at the time until after the fact. And like, that still happened. Whether, regardless of how you feel about the Ukraine shit, which I'm not, I mean, we don't even need to go down that rabbit hole, but like, <laughs> there's tank warfare again. Like, yeah. there's trench warfare again. Shit that, like, never was supposed to happen because, like, somebody in the Pentagon was like, no, 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 we got drones now. Like, you know, we've got, we've got superior air force. Like, I know that it's not our war. We're <laughs> yeah. not fighting that war. Um, but the point, the point is, is I, I think that, like, yeah, I 100% agree with you. But there's always like Jack, we've already talked about Jack a little bit, but like Jack is a student of war and a student of history and not just of American history and American war. And that comes out in the books a lot of times, too. But mm-hmm. I always think that like the, 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 the right people, if you want to put a secret, you hide it in a book. That's an expression I learned when I was doing sleight of hand magic, which ah, was a thing which we don't need to fucking talk about too much, even though it has come in handy. But like, like they're. I guess what I'm trying to say is that, like, it doesn't matter how vigilant a culture is. At some point, there it's like, you know, a person can only have so many friends before they lose track of humans. Like, I think there's only so much, such a, con- like, you lose connection by one generation, that shit might as well not even happen. Like, in our lifetime, we're going to see people not really understand what World War II was. Yeah. And I have my own version uh, of, I had a drinking buddy who was a tail gunner on a B-24 Liberator. And like we had, we, we got rowdy and I'm not saying like one time, like Ken was somebody I hung out with in Boise and, um, 
he used to call he used to talk about chasing tomatoes uh it was kind of that was his thing yeah. i didn't i thought he literally meant he was going to get tomatoes for like the first like three months i knew him and then i realized he was talking about pussy um <laughs> but um but uh, my point is, is that like and that's what I tell my grandpa. I was like, look, you have preserved Mr. Cook's story. You have preserved Mr. Cross's story. I'm going to help preserve Mr. Cross's story however I have to, whether that's donating it to a museum or if it's like telling my own version of these things or getting it to somebody who can tell a better version of that story. Like, mm-hmm. And the great thing about Marines is you guys, like, you guys are storytellers, and you guys really hold on to your history, and that's Wait, a part of your identity. We're generally exaggerating, just so you know. No. <laughs> it depends on how much whiskey is involved. But the 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 more I, I, can, I noticed, yeah. I ran a campfire, like, the more whiskey I have, the better my story gets, man. You should hear it's my crazy, baboon man. story in Africa. It gets better and better over the years. But, no, <laughs> it, it's it's so – that's so true to hide. I, I want to go back to what you just said there. The, you can hide secrets in a book. Is that is that mm-hmm. basically the just what you said? Yeah, yeah, if you want to hide a secret, put it in a book. It, oh, so interesting because I wondered, I wondered reading Jack's books, um, which I, I'm not trying to make this commercial for uh, for for Jack's books, but <laughs> but guys, if if you guys dig uh, a badass book, you got to look up Jack Carr on on uh, Audible or or you know wherever you get books from. If you buy, you know, hard, I, I personally, I, I actually prefer the hard copy of the book, uh, mm-hmm. but I drive a lot. So I listen to a lot of them. So anyway, but guys, listen, check out Jack Carr's book, the terminal list. It starts with that one and then just go from there. You'll, you're going to end up in like a rabbit hole. You'll never get out of it, Fantastic stuff. Can't recommend it enough, but I, I wonder, you know, with, with the, with the uh, quote that you had just stated, it, what, what bothers me with like the storyline of of uh, for the, let's use the first book for example the terminalist like this this guy that's trying to just live live this noble life of an american warrior and be a family man and all this stuff and there's all these people out there that are just going to fuck him over no matter what y- y- you know is there some secret that is being hidden you know what I mean? I am not mm-hmm. a conspiracy theorist, man. I, I'm not like a tinfoil hat kind of guy. But the older I get, the more tinfoil I buy. And, and the more shit. I don't, I'm not a conspiracy I mean? theorist, but I believe in conspiracies. I do, too. You know, like, I do, too. There, I mean, there's an interesting book. Um, I believe it's just called Oxcart. And it's the first, it's the first declassified uh, batch of well, documents from uh, Groom Lake, Area 51. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, a person co- collated it and made a book out of it, but, but the documents are there. Freedom of Information Act, you can pull it all now. Like it talks about the development of the U2 and the SR-71 Blackbird, which actually came out of a CIA program called Oxcart, which this is a great example we're talking about. So the Oxcart is the SR-71 Blackbird. The only difference is, is that it's a single seater and the CIA developed it with Lockheed Martin and Skunk Works. And the Air Force got wind of it once it was flying. And they're like, well, fuck that. It's the fastest airplane on Earth. Why doesn't the U.S. Air Force have it? So the SR-71 got birthed out of that. Here's what's funny, though. After the ox cars were essentially decommissioned, so to speak, as far as like what information is declassified, there was an ox cart put on display. Ox cart wasn't declassified, but SR-71 was. So there was an ox cart out in front of, I think, like Langley or some shit, like, it was it was publicly like a display 
And if anybody knew what an SR-71 was, like, that doesn't have the back window. But, but no one really knew what it was. So it was an open secret, direct, like literally in the open. But, but because no one really looked into it, no one knew for a long time what the hell it was. And it's an, it was an Oxcar Ox 12, uh, an A12, an Oxcar A12. So, like, I, again, it, I, I feel like, well, in Magic, I, mean, I guess we are going to talk about Magic now. Like, if you want to know how a Magic trick is done, you can find the answer even before the Internet. There, there were books for it. Like, you had to just run them down. You had to look for them. Yeah, but you know, the, I would find these like obscure books that were like pamphlets, basically from like the 19th century, buried in certain bookstores in Columbus, Ohio. Like, because Columbus, I found out strangely, was this weird hub for magicians back in the late 19th century and early oh, 20th really? century. I didn't know during that. the vaudeville era. Yeah, wow. Howard Thurston, who was a big, big, famous uh, magician back in the early 20th century, was from Columbus, but no one knew, no one cared. If I if I knew about magic, I knew who Howard Thurston was. But like at one point in time, Howard Thurston was like the biggest name in entertainment in America, but then he wasn't. And and so yeah. like I guess what I'm trying to get at is that even what I'm doing with Code of the West is it, it goes beyond nostalgia. I'm like I'm it's it's I don't want to say it's dead. I don't think the Cowboys dead. I was just hanging out with a bunch of Cowboys this weekend. But like the the era or the heightened pure thing that we think existed probably didn't exist for one, you know, in the way that we thought it did. But like, it's, it, if we let it go, then it's gone, but it's always going to, the idea of it will always be there. Well, as long as it's like, we don't, at this point, you can't really burn the library of Alexandria, but like, yeah. I mean, you could lose a shit ton of data, you know, but, but, but books will still be there for a long time. And I, I firmly believe that if it, the fucking, unless the sun, which will eventually like the sun blows up and destroys earth. Cool. Then, Hopefully we figured something out in the next 4 billion years. But my thing is, is that like, you know, I actually, one of my first comics I tried to write and draw was about what I thought would happen if the power went off. Like basically it was my version of a post-apocalyptic world, but it was just that. It's like, what happens if the grid goes down? Like, like, are you talking like EM, EMP kind of thing goes off and, and knocks it Sure. I out. thought it was going to be, I was going to be real clever and not really say what it was. I just be like, Oh, it's a mystery. But, um, <laughs> but like, no zombies, no nuclear war, no talking apes. Just the power goes down. Yeah, what that's, happens? That's that's the kind of stuff I think about. I don't I don't care about zombies, but that that I think they ended up making like a movie or a TV show about this, but I didn't watch it intentionally. But like my thinking was, it's like okay, you're gonna have you're gonna have some people that are gonna die in the first seventy two hours for sure, mm -hmm. um, and then you're gonna have people who are like you that are homesteading that that already kind of have a sustainable life. And, and where I was always landing with this is like, okay, so yeah, you're going to have someone that's going to come after you eventually and be like, yo, that dude's got corn. Uh, I'm like, fuck, I need some corn. Or you're going to have some, somebody come and knock on your electrified fence and be like, hey, sorry to bother you. Is there any way you could show me how to grow corn? And then you're like, yeah, I can show you how to grow corn. I can toss the seeds over the, you know, over the fence. Like, yep. The knowledge isn't going to get lost completely. You're just going to have to go find knowledge somewhere. Maybe it's going to be a little tougher. You're going to have to survive. But there's also like fucking bushcraft books everywhere. I mean, like you can you can go. I, the first place I'd fucking go if the power went down is Barnes and Nobles and just start like grabbing as many fucking books as I could about like how do I set up a hydroelectric plant? How do I yeah. you know like you know you know make a fire? Not that I don't know these things. It's like I can hand them to somebody on my travels. I can trade for these things because information is valuable. Can I can I interject one thing? Oh yeah, I suck at growing corn. Carry on. 
<laughs> oh, you got that, that good GMO corn, man. And, and, and it'll, it'll, it'll be a lot easier. I, I think, but I, you, you know, I, I don't know if it's just challenging. Yeah, oh, absolutely, man. And I, I think that that's what's critical because you have to, you have to look at stuff like that from a very critical, um, critical thinking mindset that, you know, what is reality? What is not reality? Is are are, are zombies real? No, that, that's not going to happen. Is an EMP attack? I was just listening to a podcast where they were talking about, and and again, I am not a conspiracy theorist kind of, you know, uber prepper kind of guy. I'm just not that. I just like living close to the land. I I like yeah. I like being self reliant. That's my passion. I'm not. I I don't do this because I'm worried about the future so much. However, that said, I do worry about things. There was, you know, in the last like 12 years, there's been 900 attacks to our power grid system from like foreign and uh, uh, non-foreign entities. What, what, why am I missing that word? Foreign and domestic uh, entities. Yeah. <laughs> uh, geez, I, I couldn't think of it either. God, I drew a blank, dude. Uh, <laughs> I, I just drank a whiskey, so that could Partake, or oh, I'll take a little sip then. I, I don't have much whiskey here, but I, I got a little bit of basil head, and I'll take a sip while we're talking. Uh, there you go. It just uh, it just kind of livens me up after a long day. But um, anyway, the, the point is, is is when you look at the data, when you look at the data like that, you know, um, nine hundred attacks on our power grid, and and the, the statistic I can't remember the organization's name, but th- it was something to do with the, like the national power grid system was talking about like. If that happens, it within like six months, ninety percent of the population of the United States is dead. If if the power goes out for six months, I I don't understand that. I don't understand how that's possible. Other than so many people are so reliant on the system, and that's why um, you know, I enjoy this. I I enjoy hunting. Uh, I I am also competent enough in hunting that I can I can do it if something like that happens. I know how to grow a garden. We know how to store things that we grew from a garden throughout the winter so they don't go bad or they you know uh, break down or, or rodents get to them or, and all these different things. I know how to procure water. I know how to do mm-hmm. all these things to survive in such a in such a, an event and I, I it's only been like the last couple of years I've even been interested in that side of it where my other side was I just want to be self-reliant because I enjoy working with the land that's it I, I love hunting I love working with the land that that's it so so when I was living in Manhattan I, I had my local was a place called the Jeffrey and it was full of expats from other places that were like me they were like fuck it I gotta be in New York for what I'm doing but um, I was, I, I was friends with like a white hat hacker from a- Appalachia and a guy who was like a watchmaker from Texas. But like, basically we all had keys to each other's apartments with the things that we shouldn't have in the city in those apartments. Uh-huh. And we had a fucking plan. Like, I mean, even the bar owner had a, a bug out bag with an inflatable like Zodiac, like, uh, at a certain dock on oh, the east side of the river and a handful of us knew where it was. So he had a hidden there already. And, yeah, no, we were like, because I mean, if you when you're there, visiting is one thing. You're like, you can be like, oh, it's cool, Statue of Liberty. But when you're there, you realize how fucking trapped you are. Dude, and like, totally. even on the East River, there's tides. Like, I, I had I had charts for the tides because that's how like fucking weird I am. Where I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> uh, you know, we got to know, say, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we we got to know how to get out of here. I don't want to be going out the fucking sea if the power's out. Like, um, and um. The, the the point that I'm making is that like 
I had friends that were there during the hurricane and I had friends, there was a different power outage that happened that was several days And this is, and then also I same friends were there during nine 11 as well. And multiple friends, mind you. And, and, and the power outage one was really interesting because there, there's an expression somewhere. It's like, basically like everybody's like 72 hours away from anarchy or something like, um, cause like first day, my friend, his girlfriend worked at a bar and they basically were like, Hey, the food's going to spoil you know have your boyfriends girlfriends whoever come in we're just gonna get drunk and like eat food and you know power will be on but the food will have been spoiled well they all wake up the next day in the in the bar still and they have all the shutters drawn and there's like looting happening outside and really? like people are rattling yeah like not like not terrible not like you know 2020 level but there's like shit happening and everybody's like well we'll just stay put it'll it'll settle down Day two concludes and things are still no power and everybody's like, well, we're all kind of here. Like day three was when it was like, okay, some shit's going to have to happen. Like we're going to have to start drawing straws here. Um, and the power came back on. But like my friend who was telling me this was like, it was a really weird feeling because you everybody's sitting there starting to think about, well, what are we going to have to do? And I remember this happened with COVID because I was in Ohio and I was at a bar I'd been tracking on COVID a little bit. Like I knew that the shit out of Wuhan was happening. Yeah. yeah. But like, I was like, I was like, eh, whatever. And like, I remember in Ohio, St. Patrick's day is a big, big drinking holiday and Columbus is a big drinking city. And I was at a bar. Well, I, I walked to a bar close to my apartment and I told my roommate, I was like, dude, I have a feeling this is going to be the last night that we can drink for a while. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, they're going to shut the shit down before St. Patrick's day. If this is like yeah. a weird thing that's actually happening, they're going to do it before everybody starts like getting fucked up here. And sure as shit, that that was the last night because the next day, Ohio was like, we're shutting this down. And I we were living in an apartment complex and I it was the weirdest shit because like all of a sudden, like everything just stopped and like everybody's kind of quietly going to the target down the street. And there were people who were just watching other people get shit out of their cars. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I really mean that. Like I, they were I just know. watching and I was like, Oh fuck. Like this could go. I mean, I, I never had like real conversations with my family like this where it's like, I might have to like boogie, boogie, woogie to Idaho, like make sure grandma and grandpa are okay. Do I stay for grandma and grandpa? Like we were having these like real fucking conversations where it's like, not to say like, Oh, grandma and grandpa lived a good life. Like, fuck you. And it wasn't like that. It was just like, what are we going to do? Like what happens if I get stuck in Nebraska and they shut state borders down? These were real conversations that people were having. Mm -hmm. And I had, you know, I did have friends that were in Soho and Brooklyn when like fires and looting and shit were happening. I had a whole lot of liberal friends that were suddenly like, uh, I don't have a gun. I have a baseball bat and I have a roof that's connected to the entire block. That's the thing. I yeah. That's the thing. Guns are only a problem in as a first world problem that like, yeah, that, I, I went through the same stuff, man, and where I became super alarmed, I, I kind of cut you off, dude. I'm sorry about that. No, 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 no. I said back and forth, man. Back and uh, forth. Yeah. Where where I became alarmed, man, is is I knew they were about to shut shit down, and so I, I ran to, like, this Walmart to get some basic supplies. At the time, we lived at a different uh, on a different property. We had five acres in, uh, well, just north out of Coeur d'Alene there. You know where Coeur d'Alene is. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're just were you like in Hayden or something. Yep, we were right on the Hay uh, the the border of Hayden and Athol, and like oh, oh it, yeah, it was, I love going through Athol. 
Yeah, Athol. Athol, a bunch of Athol Idahoans over there, damn yeah. nation. But anyway. Sweet tangent. That, that, that's where we live. We had a little five-acre acre plot there, but our garden sucked because the, the, the sun exposure was terrible. And so mm-hmm. that was actually one of our motivators to, to sell that place. That in Kootenai County got out of control with uh, the, the new arrivals, so to speak. But anyway, yeah. what, what, what happened was, you know, I ran down to grab some supplies, and, and uh, what I noticed, the things that people were prioritizing for a long-term, you know, um, let's say all the stores are closed, long-term stay-at-home, were wrong. Like, yeah. like, like fucking toilet paper? Like, what? Yeah. Toilet paper's out? I, I don't understand. What, what do you guys... I, I was talking to my roommate about that. I was like, look, dude, there's it's spring... There's foliage outside. We do not need to worry about toilet paper right now. Yeah, toilet paper is the least of my concerns. And and they're you know, toilet paper and top ramen were cleaned out. I'm sorry, folks. Yeah. When when you're talking about something where where it, like you, you have to be self reliant, the grid has gone down or or le, the, let's say there's a pandemic that's a legitimate pandemic. I mean like fucking mm-hmm. it is killing anybody that catches it is dead. Eyeballs are bleeding. Eyeballs bleeding, you know, assholes are blowing out. I don't care what you <laughs> call it, but it, it, it it's serious. I, I promise you, those are not the things that you want to have and, and not the things that you want to know. And it's your knowledge base that's going to make a difference. And I think that it's important that people start thinking about that kind of thing. Not, not to like some extreme prepper level, but like I guarantee if the power goes out for six months at my place, dude, we're going to be fine. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the same, same with our place in northern Idaho. I mean, like, it's say I say it's Sagal, but like, that's where the post office is. We're not in Sagal, like, we're not in any well. Sagal is a broad area, dude. There, there's like, it, yeah, like that's that's a huge well, it's kind of like the Clark Fork area, or like they they call it over on the Montana side, Heron, Montana. Like, Heron, the Heron area is freaking huge, man. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't tell people a, we live in western Montana. That's, that's, yeah. I just don't want to throw them off the set. Exactly. And and North Idaho is kind of the same thing. Uh, Sagal, Sagal is a great spot. If you want, I might piss people off with this. If you want a big-ass whitetail, Sagal is a good place if you find somebody with some private land. Um, yeah, we got 60 acres. You can just go blackjack them. Like my mom fucking feeds them. Um, they come up and eat out of her hands. <laughs> Oh yeah, I know. I, mean, I have a lot of customers that do that. They're, uh, you know, they'll give them like saltine crackers, right? I, this I say saltine because this, this customer the other day uh, walked out and like whistled, and all these deer came up to his back deck, and he's giving yeah, him saltine. My crackers. mom goes out. If if I yell dinner time, nothing happens. Yeah. If my mom goes out and yells dinner time, then all of a sudden, like like all the deer start running up from the pasture to behind the barn. Yeah. And uh, it's the craziest shit, but like. I mean, but we've all talked about that where it's like, okay, we love the deer. However, if shit went sideways, Bambi ain't lasting very long because we're, we, we got a, a root cellar and a way to keep this shit cool. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're hanging meat. Like, you know, we, we know how uh, to smoke the meat, hang the meat, store the meat, and we know how to kill the meat. And so, yeah, you know, uh, we're not worried, but yeah, totally, totally. Well, I, it's funny. I got, I had to come clean real quick though. Like, I'm not a hunter yet. Like, so, so I tell grew me about up that. with, yeah. So Dan, my stepdad, my, I love my dad. My dad's a great dude, truck driver, always on the road. So there really wasn't a lot of opportunities there. Dan shows up like the fucking Terminator on a black V twin motorcycle when I'm 12 
And I'm like, oh, who's this dude? And he grew up in Northern California, like uh, around the Mount Shasta area uh-huh. in a very, very small town called Hat Creek. And they were so poor, they, uh, I think the statute of limitations over on this, they actually had to poach. They were shooting out of season because mm-hmm. they just, I mean, they were that poor. And well, so there, when I was, I, okay, I'd like to ahead. clarify with that real quick, Chris. There's two types of poachers. There's there's jackass fucking poachers that just do it for the sake of poaching, and then there's the necessity poachers. Not that I'm glorifying it or justifying it mm-hmm. or anything, but I'm talking about back in the day, poverty was such a real thing. It was more real of a thing than it is today. That it mm-hmm. was it like like um, blind eyes were turned. Yep. Because people knew that that was the sustenance that, that they relied upon to live. So, yeah. 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 And that's, that's the situation that he was in. And so, and he also was a 4 H guy. And like, I later learned that my stepdad absolutely loved animals. And, uh, quick aside, like when he had his first steer for 4 H, he had named it Ben after his grandfather. And he loved this thing. And it was, it ended up taking top prize. But before he showed it, oh, nice. he's like, I beat the shit out of that. He's like, I beat the shit out of that steer. And he was drunk when he was telling me this. I hope he doesn't is mad that I'm saying this, but I looked at him. I was like, you wanted him to hate you, didn't he? Didn't you? He's like, yep. I loved that steer. I loved it with everything that I had. And I felt so bad, but I had to do it. Yeah. That, that's ranch life. And so anyways, when, when he showed up and he bought me my first rifle, Winchester 3030, um, tried to get me to get a Marlin, but I was like, nope, got to be a Winchester. Um, and, um, like a Model 94? Could, uh-huh. Yep. Sweet, yep, still man. have it. I have two um, of those as one of my favorite rifles. Love it. I need to fix it because a stupid fucking friend of mine tried to be John Wayne with it um, and absolutely <laughs> destroyed the internals on it. Oh, but, no. Um, oh, yeah. Shoot, oh, yeah. Man. But I still have it. I still have my first gun, even though it's not operable at the moment. But he, I went through hunter safety. I did the whole nine yards. We, I'm air quoting right now, went elk hunting, which was really like Dan just wanted to take me out there. Like he, we went with a, a buddy of his, we just, we made so much noise. We might as well have been like fucking blasting twisted sister or something on a, a boom box while we were walking through the woods. Like <laughs> it just wasn't happening. And even as a kid who'd never hunted before, I was like, this seems a little slapdash, but I later found out from him that he was just like, he really, like he, he wanted to teach me those things. He wanted like, I, subsequently, like I, I've killed a turkey. I've, I've, I've harvested a turkey, which is not the biggest accomplishment on earth but i dressed it i dealt with it you know that was my thing that's all i've i've been able to to, to do so far turkey hunting's not neat it's not easy man it's, it's not an easy thing oh come to our place uh aside from the berserky which is the turkey that chases my mom for no reason oh you're talking um, about in sagal oh yeah. yeah 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 okay so turkey hunting in sagal is pretty damn easy i, I take that back mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's kind of like yeah. clark fork idaho you can just drive down the road and blast one yeah, I've seen, I've, I've seen them get hit outside of Hayden on 95 enough times to know how easy they are. Um, yeah, but they're, like, dude, I, they're all so over the I, have, I have harvested something. I just might, like I said, you know, I grew up like reading Peter Hafstick Cathaway and, you know, Hemingway stories. And like, it's never been something that I've been adverse or against. It's just that my my thing with hunting and I... I've had, so I work, I work for Cryptech now, actually, which is one of the things that I was going to mention earlier. Oh, you and, work for Cryptech? Um, yeah. I'm, oh, I, I technically work that. for a company. I work for a company called Heritage, which is behind Cryptech and then also PSE Bose now. And, um, what? I, uh, 
yeah, no, it, it, it's 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 funny. Like as a neophyte hunter, I'm I'm like, well, I'm surrounded by good people, but we were talking about this at Cryptech where it's like, what are the challenges of getting new hunters in? And I was like raising my hand. I'm like, uh, new hunter here. Um, if you don't have a mentor, this is basically impossible, in, in my opinion. Chris, I tell you what. So I know Utah very, very well when it comes to hunting. You need to get you an elk tag, and I'll come down there okay. and I'll take you on an elk hunt. Uh, I that would be awesome. Yeah, uh, like uh, there, especially with your PSE. So I've got the I've got the PSE Evoke. Is that right? Yeah, or no, Evolve. I think it's the Evolve. Or Evolve. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're yeah. right. Uh, the Evolve. I love this bow. Um, and I'm not like a super technical bow hunter guy. I just happen to like PSE because that's what I've always had, and I mm-hmm. usually Still American what I'm, made. Yep, exactly. And so, and I really like this. I, I really like this Evolve. It like it. It's it's super quiet. It's super fast. Uh, it's a great bow. Um, but you know, I. I, I am a huge proponent of getting people that have that primal intuition, and I feel like you do. I mean, you've got a freaking mm-hmm. platform called the Code of the West. Uh, I, I, I'd love to. You, you could do one of two things, man. You, you get you get you a Utah elk tag, or get you a non-resident Idaho elk tag, or a Montana tag, or whatever. I'll 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 take mm-hmm. you out anytime, man. But I appreciate that. I mean, because that, that's the thing about Code of the West too is I'm like I'm taking it on the chin. Like I know. I'm not a cowboy, but like we were talking about going to that branding. So we, mm-hmm. one of the things that we talked about before we started recording was that I went to a branding this weekend and it happened to be within like, I'd say almost walking distance of where, where your my family, family has property. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, um, again, you know, I believe that you, you represent a hundred percent and I, I've definitely told white lies over the course of my life, but I'm not going to walk into an environment and claim to be something that I'm not definitely something that I, I confirmed when I was at black rifle. And, and so I went down there and it took about a day for everybody to kind of be like, what are you, what are you, who are you? And it took about, you know, another day being covered in dirt and cow shit and, you know, riding along, you know, as the, the cattle's breaking out for everybody to be like, Chris, camera, Chris, camera, Chris. Hey, we took a picture of my bridal. Hey, you know, <laughs> we're going over here by the, 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 by the last night, you know, everybody's like, you got to come down next Memorial day you know, you, you, you know, this is great. Thanks for coming. And like, they knew who I was. They knew I'm not a cowboy. They knew I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not of their world, but I can exist within it. Yeah. And that to me is the West. That's That's the code of the West. America. Yep. That's that's the code of the West. Because the thing is, is, is the, in the West, we have a live and let live kind of philosophy. Right. And, and we have this self-reliance personality trait i guess if, if if you will but the the thing is uh-huh. is if you are against us we want nothing to do with you we we there, there's nothing there's nothing we don't have time for that because we're busy being self-reliant but mm-hmm. if if you want to embrace this life if you want if you want to be part of the west and the culture and be self-reliant and be independent of of greater structural things that that uh you rely so heavily on in your life we will teach you how to do that i'm not saying that's the story of the west those uh those cowboys that you rode with they're uh i'm not speaking for them i'm speaking just as as a general whole 
that's the that's the culture. That's the code of the West. Mm-hmm. We want we want welcome to the family. Here's how we do it here, and this is what's going to yep. help you. If you help us, we're going to help you, and 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 we're all one big family. And so, where you were at, it's a party in fact, line, exactly. Um, where you were at, in fact, my good buddy who lives in Draper, uh, Jordan Lloyd, he drew a really good elk tag for that. N- I'm real careful with what I talk about in terms of Yeah, yeah, yeah I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah, I know. Roughly in the area of where you were at there. Um, uh, it's, it's a great freaking tag. Uh, anyway, the um, the offer is is sincere, man. Uh, like if if you ever if you, you truly want and to, I, take, and I believe it and I appreciate it because yeah. I, I will take you up on it. Like, and and that like I again, you know, I think sometimes being an outsider is. Well, actually, I don't think sometimes being, I, I used to really, I, you ever seen the Sandlot, the movie, the Sandlot? Dude. So the Sandlot was filmed in Draper, Utah. I've gone, so I've, I, and also, yeah, the, the, I watched the actual it being lot filmed. It. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and it was filmed in, uh, I can't remember if it was Murray or Midville. Uh, yeah, there's like three different spots because the, the yeah. actual lot is over behind Black Rifle, not too far either. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. And so I, when I was, Gosh, what was I? I? I was maybe ten years old, maybe twelve years old. I had this mountain bike, and I'd ride over to where they were filming, and and they'd stop oh, me and make me just sit there, and I couldn't enter like these uh, like fields or wherever they were filming. Uh, they were they were doing whatever scene, and then when the movie came out, I'm like, what? I know that street. I know that. I know that yeah. dirt lot. I know all that. You, you know, they filmed the whole thing right there uh, amongst me, and I was like the same age as as the uh, kids in the movie. So it was really cool. So I was always smalls in my head. Like uh, I was always that kid because I was existing between different worlds constantly. I was either on the yeah. truck with my dad in the summer or I would be like leaving Idaho to come back to, to Ohio in the summer to attempt to be a normal kid for two months with no friends, no no friends outside of my family, essentially. And, yeah. and so I was always kind of hoping and waiting for like some kids to invite me to play baseball, you know, uh, and and so for a long time, I really I struggled with that idea of, of always feeling like the outsiders and never really felt like I fit in with anybody except like the adults, essentially. Sure. And as I got older, and especially when I, I started kind of like pursuing my career as a storyteller, I started realizing like, no, this is maybe this is why I'm a storyteller. I don't know. But the outsider is the person who watches. The outsider is the person who yes. kind of like observes and and catalogs. And I and. I I have a lot. I think part of the reason why I've also been always been fascinated with hunting and hunting stories is that like the idea of observation and patience and and study is really appealing to me because that's essentially how I've lived my life. And and at the end of it, yes, there's this like triumphant, in theory, hopefully triumphant moment of like achieving a goal. But you know, like for me, it's. I know Rogan and those guys and Haynes and everybody talk about like harvesting and just, you know, it's almost like a, I don't want to say philosophical stance, but like, I don't want to even go into that whole thing, but like, I, I definitely want to kill something. I know, you know, I like, know what it, you mean. It's, it's not, you know, harvesting is a term that was, was uh, brought up to try to create like this better image for, for hunters or whatever. But the reality is I'm a straightforward guy. We're not harvesting elk and deer we're, yeah we're killing these things and yeah and and but the thing the thing that it's not a harsh thing to say that you kill a deer 
or you kill an yeah. elk or a, like I'm about to go bear hunting. I'm going to kill a bear. Uh, it's yeah. one of my favorite hunts. The thing, the thing that people don't realize with that is my connection to nature because I kill a bear is so much deeper on such a more profound level than somebody that spends their entire life in Manhattan completely devoid of any connection to the wild. Mm-hmm. That's why I have much more respect for it, and that's why I understand it. And 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 I think that that's what that is one of the foundational reasons as to why I started this show is because I feel like there's this major disconnect with these large urban areas. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, folks listening, there there are some great hunters that live in big urban areas that travel outside. I'm talking about the people that don't. I'm talking about the mm-hmm. people that live their life in these big urban uh, metro areas that the only traveling they do is via airplane to another metro area or or some, you know, their connection to ma- nature is uh, getting a margarita on a, on the beach of Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and, and there's, you know, some exotic birds or something. There's a big difference between that and hunting a bear and, and killing a bear and killing an elk and killing a deer and utilizing that animal for sustenance and, and understanding the nature of that animal and, and their behavior and, and why they're doing the things that they're doing. And the only reason you understand that is because you want to be better at killing them. That mm-hmm. is nature. That is what is natural. Humans are not aliens to the planet. That's what's human. It is. And and my buddy, uh, Mike Costello, uh, out of California, he came up with this term, so I don't want to take credit for it, but hunting mm. is human. Hunting is human, yep. and hunting is humane. It is, it is the two worlds that come together where there's such this disconnect from people that never understand that world. They've never, you know, their ideas of nature is Central Park. Um, and so I, I I just am a huge proponent. I know I've kept you long, man. I'm sorry. We're almost No, no. I mean, here, so. uh, yeah. I mean, I, I would like to just throw something down on that, though. Yeah, throw it down, man. kind of relevant. Um, so I have, when I was in Manhattan and living there and in comics, like, a lot of my friends are native New Yorkers and I had one friend who ended up becoming my roommate. And, uh, when I moved there, he came and visited me in, in Idaho and that was the first time he'd ever been there. And it, it scared him to be outside. We, I took him out what, uh, outside of town. What was it that Go was ahead. scary? Was it like the, the, uh, the vast, I'm sorry, gosh, man, the vastness. The vastness. Of, yeah. Yeah. I said that. Yeah, I totally it was, said it wrong. It was no, 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 you're fine. It was quiet and it was vast. And, and there is still enough light pollution from the city that like, for me, I'm like, oh, it's not great. You don't see stars very often in New York city. Like you can see one or two kind of through the, the haze and the light pollution. But there was an, at the time in, in Idaho and Boise, this would have been uh, probably 11 years ago. Enough things had not been built up yet that there were still, you can get outside of town, maybe 15 minutes and you could see a lot of the sky. And, yeah. He described it as feeling feeling like he was going to fall off the earth because he he always felt like there was like a roof over him basically. Ah. And and but what my main point to this is, I show up and I'm like, I literally moved to Manhattan with the same Osprey pack that I'd been using when I was in the Wenatchee's. Like I got out of the mountains. Like that's a whole story by itself and how we got out uh, after what had happened. And I had about three weeks in Boise before I took that pack 
what was on my back and moved to Manhattan. And so I showed up like wow. looking like I came out of the mountains basically. And my friends that I, I kind of knew from traveling enough and doing comics, you know, they're, I was like an alien, you know, basically. And yeah. they'd grown, they'd been born and raised in Brooklyn or born and raised in Manhattan. And they were curious and I, and they asked stupid questions <laughs> if I'm being totally honest, but like, but I had a lot of patience and I was like, you know what? I'm kind of like a, a representative of the West right now. And I want to make sure that whatever I say and whatever I do is, is a, puts me in good standing with the West. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I answered all these questions and I, I, there were people would see photos of me with a, a, you know, a Glock next to me while I was, you know, this is later, but like, you know, when I'd be drawing in the Tamaracks on our property in Sagal, I'd have a, just be, I forgot it was even there. I'd take a picture of like my iPad while I'm drawing for Filson. There's a Glock there. And I had these guys going like, well, why the fuck? Well, you don't need a gun. I'm like, oh, if we're going to talk about it, I actually do need a gun. And that gun's too small because we've got a mountain lion roaming around on the property right now. A bald eagle just dropped a fucking trout 10 feet away from me out of the tree <laughs> accidentally. From Pondery Lake. Yeah. And I'm like, this is real. And so, so to your point, yeah, they, they don't know. But it, it, my point that I was going to make is it's that thing about the hunting thing. I need a mentor. You need a mentor. You, some people, sometimes it's your grandpa, sometimes it's your dad. Sometimes it's your stepdad just getting you a Winchester and you're walking around the mountains. But if you don't, if those people, they're, they're, I don't want to say they're, I'm not trying to be condescending or that they're children, but like they live in an insulated world. And I lived in that world with them for a few years. And I realized yeah. to the extent that like they just don't know. And, and it's it's not an offensive thing, Chris. Like, it, like I would be a naive child in New York City. I would yeah. I would be killed somewhere like that. I I don't. But you don't would under- be humble enough to acknowledge that. Though, exactly. And, not- and and I, I I'm so um, open with the fact that I I I've spent a lot of time in big cities due to my day job. Uh, and what whatnot, is your day job? But- if you don't mind my asking. I am a uh, commercial roofing estimator, construction manager kind of guy. Uh, You're so, a CM. Yeah, so so I travel the the north in the northwest mostly, but sometimes I run over to Seattle and Portland and those areas for uh, some of the larger projects. But um, I, it, yeah, that's what I do. I I, I manage um, big commercial roofing projects and I estimate them, uh, and and I sell the jobs and and that's that's kind of what what my day gig is day gig is right now. And, uh, well, right now I say right now, I've been doing it for a long damn time, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's not like tomorrow I'm going to turn into, uh, um, you know, Bundy and be a shoe salesman or something. <laughs> but a city in the West though, is not the same thing as a city on the East coast. I think. No, it's totally well. There's there's some similarities and there's a lot of differences. Sure. The, the 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 biggest thing in like in the West that I think from from a guy, you know, I grew up in the West and then I was stationed on the East Coast uh, with the military and and then came back out west. Is what I noticed is like the cities there. There's not a lot of separation between them. You, you, you know, mm-hmm. you're you're in one city and then you, you drive. There's like no undeveloped land there's no it's just all developed it's just all developed it whether it's a farm or it's like a fucking you know uh, mini mall or whatever uh what do they call those strip mall um strip mall yeah 
you know, well, it, look at a light pollution map. I mean, that, I, I would use that as an example a lot of times with my friends. Light York, pollution is like, a great example. Like that, those maps, if you can, when you pull them up and it's like showing like basically like where power, where light is showing up in the yeah. country. Like it's the fucking miss. It's still the Mississippi. Like it, like the fucking Eastern third of the country is just un. It's all developed. No distinction. It's all developed. It's all light. You get to the Mississippi and it's immediately pockets of light. And you really truly realize just how fucking vast and empty things are still out here. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest things I noticed because I, I travel a lot. I'm a big Civil War buff. And so when I lived oh, out there, when I lived out there, I'd go to all the battlefields on the eastern seaboard, you know, in Ver- mostly in Virginia. But, um, you, you know, we I, I never had this feeling like in the West when you're growing up. You're like if you have a if you have less than a half a tank of gas and you're leaving a town, you know damn well you better stop and and fill up because oh, you don't yeah. know how long it's going to be to the next town. You know it's it's yeah. nothing but mountains and sagebrush in between. Where on the eastern seaboard, I noticed like in North Carolina and Virginia, when I was doing these road trips, I didn't have to worry about that. There was always going to be a gas station, right? That, you're on a turnpike. I mean, you know, yeah, they, they, always, yeah. Always something, and and that's that's a uh, and it was like it was weird too, man, because I had to relearn that when I when I got out of the service and moved back home, uh, I came back out west, and it's like okay, no man, I got to prepare. Like there might not be a gas station for three hundred miles, and and so yeah, you just got to pay attention. You know, it's just different. Different. I mean, I drive I drive home most of the time from Salt Lake to. Uh, I'm gonna have to sneeze here, possibly. Nope, pushing it down. Um, I drive from Salt Lake to Sagal, which is about, a, depending on traffic and weather conditions, can be a 11 to 13 hour drive. It's I'm a hike, hammer man. landing it. Yeah, it's a hike. I love it. I love it. It's I love a great it. Great drive. You just come um, up I 15 all the way to, to I 90 and over. Yeah, usually I, I, I've, I, I came back down the long way through Oregon and Washington and the southern tip uh, yeah, yeah. because there because this is a very western thing. Pocatello was flooding because of the flash floods and all the snow melt. And I'm like, well, fuck, yeah. okay, it's going to be an extra two hours. I'm going to have to go the long way around. Um, and then sometimes if I'm feeling real, real frisky, I will drive through from, uh, like I'll drive down 95 and then go, uh, usually it's like go outside of Lewiston and, oh, yeah. uh, and Moscow and, and go down through garden Valley and, um, well, like basically McCall and, um, That's and my go the back drive. way into Boise. I yeah. love that. Yeah, it's a remember, great drive. Remember, it's long, but man, that's a great that's a great cruise like, through the West, man. <laughs> four four years ago, I think it was four or five, like there was a rock slide and a giant boulder like just landed in the middle of the highway and they it was shut down for like a month. They had to dynamite the shit. And I'm like, only in Idaho. Yeah. Um oh, yeah. was, uh, but but yeah, I mean like I, I guess like my thing is about I this kind of sums up actually it's taken two hours to get there, but the code of the West, it's like Part of it is, like I said earlier, it's about it's about showcasing the people that I love, the stories and the idea of what the West is and what America is. And it's also an opportunity, I think, to teach, to talk to these people and, and show stories. And because I, I realized that I can't call it a lifestyle brand. I don't know what to call it yet because I just want to tell stories. And sometimes those stories might be on T-shirts. Sometimes they might be videos. Sometimes they might be photographs. I'm still figuring that part of it out, but I want to be able to point to something kind of like Mr. Cook's, uh, you know, orders off the cork board. 
and, and be able to say to my friends in New York or people that I've never met before mm-hmm. and be like, hey, you know, sure, Yellowstone's a thing and it's in the zeitgeist right now, but it's uh, FYI, not how it really is. Yeah, and no. at least at least not the heightened version of it. And um, like we we went up to NSF, a couple friends of mine uh, to Montana for a small ranch rodeo last year. And it was kind of like a half black rifle, half code of the West thing at the time and um, very ad hoc. And it was an amazing time. It was a veteran. Uh, it was a, a ranger that had started a nonprofit that was teaching guys cycling out how to be cowpunchers, basically. And a bunch of people from War no Party shit. Movement. Yes, yeah, really. It's called Bear Hug Cattle Company. See, and every a, a time, bunch... whenever I start Go getting ahead. stressed out about, you know, if I could still keep finding new guests for the show, because I, I, you know, it's always a stress when you have a podcast. Can you find new guests? Oh yeah. I I talk to a guest that talks about something like that, and 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 the way you describe that, that's like ten other podcast episodes right there. Shit. Oh yeah, I could I could definitely put you in contact with. <laughs> I people, love stuff it, like, like that. Ben, Ben's bear hug. Then there's war party movement, which is Jeremiah Blackbeard. Jeremiah was a green beret was in the 10th mountain division. And, uh, as, but was, as a vaquero, he's like half Indian, half Mexican. And, um, he's got war party movement, which is his nonprofit, which what he does, he pulls fucking John Rambo and he will go and rescue girls in sex trafficking situations, pull them, physically pull them out of them. And then war party will sponsor them to learn what? how to be cowgirls yeah no, no jeremiah way. i mean like I lo- no way yeah like no jeremiah jeremiah I need is like this fucking guy. John rambo i need this guy yeah. in my podcast he's also a guide he's a hunting guide um so he's definitely up up your alley for sure oh for and, sure dude. um so we we went up there and, and willie's distillery is up there too and um so wait we, we meet all these people and i'm i'm having a, a ball i'm helping taking photos and we're driving back the next morning after i slept in the back of this shitty Ford Ranger thinking it was going to be warm in August and Ennis. No. Um, and, um, we're driving back and the guy that I'm with Ryan, he's like, he's born and raised in rural Utah, but he, he's sitting there next to me. He's like, I can't believe that that's still a thing. And I go, what's still a thing? Look over at him. He's like, we met, we knew nobody going into that. And everybody shook our hands, looked us in the eye and we got, shit house drunk and slept in the fucking parking lot of the rodeo like and then they had breakfast in the morning and saw people and like he's like i i just didn't know that it existed and it goes back to what i said earlier tonight where i i was like you know what ryan i think it never went anywhere it's just not what we've been looking for and and that to me that that i i feel is like my job that was that thing that i was i was waiting for the when guys are like don't you don't need to go and do what we did you know you you have a different thing that you can do like wait Man, find that thing me. yeah That's, like uh, it, it's it, always it, been it, there and it bothered me it's always been there but we didn't know what we were looking for i love that man i i, I think that's so accurate i i it, it's i wish that i could like have a billboard somewhere that like the entire <laughs> world saw you know what I mean, and and it was it was a message like that, that that's what I feel. This like my code job of the is West, that. this 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 uh, ethos, this ideology, 
of live with courage, keep your word, you know, in my case, like self-reliance and, and primal adventure and feeding of the spirit through, through these kind of adventures in wild places. You know, I, I just, I don't know. It's, it's just a great thing. I, and we got to wrap this up because I've kept yeah, it super long, brother. But uh, <laughs> no, it's been great, though. It has. I feel like we're just kind of touching the surface. We're we're gonna have to dig a little bit deeper in future episodes. If if you're up <laughs> for it, so, I'm yeah. up for it, dude. Yeah, and then I, I mean, I'm I'm figuring out how to get my thing going too. Like I've I've been basically the Mike Lever talking head for a while on my podcast, and I and I want to start getting guests on too. So you yeah. know, we just kind of double dip and do it on, on, on the code of the West one too. Once I start getting my shit figured out. Yeah, man, anything you need with that, uh, help wise, let, let me know. I'd, I'd be happy to kind of, I, it took me a long time and I'm no expert, man, but I've, I've got the recording part fairly well down and, um, yeah, I'd be, be happy to come on your show and, uh, talk smack about the left or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, I appreciate it. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, um, stick on the line for just a minute, but before before I stop recording, I just want to say uh, to to the listeners out there, um, I've got the the code of the west dot us is the website, and the Instagram is at the code of the west. Um, Chris, is there anything else you want to kind of promote as as we're still recording? You know, I mean, I, that's probably about it. I mean, I mean, things that we've covered, you know, things like war party, bear hug cattle, like you know, there's war party is probably the one I'd really want to like really stress for people to, to, to look into because uh, there's a, a lot of, a lot of weird things happening and have been happening around, you know, indigenous women going missing and, and, and winding yes. up murdered and all this other shit. Like, and, and no one really knows talks about, it. about it. Yeah. Nobody talks yeah. about it. It's like not, so there's, there's anything to look into even yeah. more so than code of the West. I would say it's actually war party movement. Okay, I'm I'm glad you said that. That actually, uh, I I would be um, Chris. If I, I keep wanting you, I, I keep wanting to call you Cody because it's Code of the West. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but it, but Chris, um, if if you have somebody that that would be interested in in kind of expanding on that particular topic, um, that's been something I've actually been following for for like I don't know seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the exploitation of some of these native girls that uh is going unnoticed and and like fucking you think cnn and fox news talks about it nope they don't nobody knows and it's a big freaking deal and so i'd be happy to get somebody on my show to try to bring uh, i don't know i I, not to use a stupid buzzword but bring awareness to uh that kind of topic i'd be happy to do it so um all right, we'll make Chris. it happen, man. Yeah, for sure. Let's do that. So, again, listeners, in the show notes, I'm going to have the uh, Instagram link to the uh, at the Code of the West uh, and the website, which is thecodeofthewest.us. Did I say that right? Yeah, you did. Yeah, does in there. And uh, Chris, I feel like is going to be um, a a person that I, I think is definitely if if he finds me worthy i i would be uh definitely finding him worthy of having back on the show to have some of these further conversations to discuss just the 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 overall ideology and the the ethos of of the code of the west and uh you know maybe we can set something up where um you know hunting wise 
if 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 uh, you ever if you ever need somebody, um, I'm I'm happy to be a mentor for something like that. As long as you, uh, you know, return the favor and and be a mentor to me as uh, with like I feel like some of the books you're talking about and what you do, man. Like when you cut your fingernails, those fingernails are smarter than I am. And so no, I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to expand on some of that stuff. But for, for now, um, I Sharing really knowledge is what it. we do. Yeah, man. And I appreciate you. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I appreciate it. So, again, thanks for coming on the show, brother. Let's, let's keep Thank in touch you, and do this again for sure. Absolutely. You made it. That's the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure you're following us on Instagram at the Western Huntsman and write us a good review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.